That's where they took the shot at Sawyer. Right over there is where they push you out of the jungle with a bag on your head. Right there is where I, where I laid my guns down. It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recaps. And here we are. S-O-S. Yes, oh yes, Mike Bloom. It's time for Rose and Bernard. All Rose, all Bernard, all the time, except for when Jack is screaming at the others in the pouring rain. Do you think they had a missed opportunity in the script to not have Rose say yes, oh yes to (laughs) Bernard's proposal? No, because I'm glad that that just gets to become a down the hatch thing. Because uh, I'm exactly. sure that there will be multiple times in this episode we are saying yes, oh yes, as I don't know about you, Mike, spoil to, to tip my hand a little bit, big fan of this one, uh, bigger fan of this episode than I even knew uh, coming into the episode this week. Lost meets you where you are, lost meets you where you are, put that on a t-shirt, print it. Uh, because that is how I feel um, often. And please let us know before you do that, just just so we know as well if you decide to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's work together on that. But seriously, like, uh, man, I I did not realize how badly I needed SOS to save my ship this week. Uh, but this was this was a terrific, terrific uh, uh foray into Lost, and in, in one of those instances of uh probably an episode that at the time. When you're watching it on the week to week, you're kind of like, really? Do we need this right now? Uh, and then when you're re-examining Lost, primarily through the lens of like, man, these characters are so great. I just love watching them spend time together. I just love mm-hmm. learning more about them. I just love watching these actors work. I just love listening to this incredible music. I just love watching an incredible episode ending montage that's very emotional. Uh, I love a good weird twist at the end, like a person who you haven't seen in many, many episodes just falling into your lap. Or maybe you have and that he's been around them the entire time. Because <laughs> the he's secretly plant. been a jungle. Uh I don't know, Mike. Uh, I needed SOS in a very bad way, uh, and uh, it, it really rose to the occasion. And uh, an episode that I think I've always at least liked, if never thought was particularly remarkable or memorable, other than being the Rose and Bernard episode. This was uh, one of my favorites of season two, for sure. Yeah, this is uh, this impressed me much more than I thought it would. Exactly. I talked about this at the end of last week, that I think we sort of coupled Dave and SOS together of like, 
okay, the between the big, big ending of lockdown that Ben Linus is Henry Gale into the events of Two for the Road, which obviously have a monumental effect on the rest of season two, if not the rest of Lost. And then sort of in between are Dave and SOS. And I think we're sort of saying, okay, that's like the, the, the chaff we have to get through to get to the next delicious stalk of wheat. But to your point, I think this episode is one of those ones that's also indicative of the way you look at Lost, whether it's through the view of advancing the plot and building upon these mysteries or looking at some of the characters uh, that exist. I mean, this is a, an interesting episode for a number of reasons. I believe this is the first episode that focuses its flashback on guest characters, even though we have seen Rose and Bernard throughout seasons one and two, this, they are still credited as guests on Lost, and so this is the first time we're concentrating on them. Not the last it's time the, this season. Yeah, but it's the only time that we'll really concentrate on them, uh, because you know they will disappear for the vast majority of season three. Spend a little bit of time in season four, albeit apart, and then season five, once uh, they travel back to the 70s, they're going to purposely disappear for a while. But two characters who have a really interesting journey over the course of this episode. What I do want to say at the outset is I think this episode is made on the backs of L. Scott Caldwell and Sam Anderson. Yeah, of course. The, the, the flashbacks are the highlight of this episode They're so for me. great. They're so great. And, they're, and they're, they're so freaking good together. This episode does lose some points, obviously, because of just like, you know, if you have to eliminate an episode of Lost from the season, this one definitely has the least amount of effects on the overall plot, right? Because when Jack and Kate go out into the jungle, as Af- as mentioned in the in-, in the intro clip, they nothing really happens except that they find Michael. Uh, to that point, Josh, let me offer you a question here: Is this the first one-off episode of Lost in your opinion? Well, I, it would be if not for the fact of the Jack storyline and the Kate storyline where they are uh, rediscovering Michael because that is going to catapult us or even trebuchet us into uh, the final arc of the season. Um, so on that note, like if you just go from Dave straight into Two for the Road, I think that you miss... Wait, Michael's back? So it's a hard one to shave off completely and i think to lost's credit there actually aren't too many episodes that you could just wholesale remove Um, yeah i would say like you could probably i mean one off is also interesting because you could you could reconceive an entire season you know like you could you could you could break the whole thing down and and come up with a way to like accomplish what is the main story of the season in in a full reconception but if you're talking about the episode order as it exists like every episode of the show, I do think, uh, at least I'm discovering this, Mike, and curious for your take, feels like every episode has at least an essential ingredient, for the most mm. part. Not every single one, but most of them. Um, like, whatever the case may be is an, is an inessential episode. Like, that's an episode that, to my mind, like other... Well, no, it's not, because it's the guns! The guns yeah, are see, introduced, see, so I, like, I would say there's, a, there's also a difference to me between inessential and one-off, because one-off I more so meant from, like, a character-based perspective like thinking about sos or confirmed dead or abaterno for instance like episodes that focus on these characters who don't really get much time in the spotlight again and while there may be stuff in the main plot that does tie into the stuff that's going to happen on uh, like the abaterno for example has the infamous uh sitting on the beach with the bottle and the cork conversation that is right. a huge game changer as to what the purpose of the island is I just think it's interesting that Lost does occasionally have those episodes that will focus on, you know, 
a character and then not necessarily address it. Confirmed Dead is another one where we're going to get another Miles flashback in uh, Some Like It Hoth, but really it strays away from covering those other characters. And I'm sure we're going to get into it, why they chose to not only embrace Rose and Bernard for this episode, but then subsequently not really embrace them that much well, moving forward. What else is there to say? You know, SOS uh, really tells the Rose and Bernard story. Because um, mm. what happens here in SOS really is the entirety of Rose and Bernard's story. You know, right. by you know they they start off like bickering a little bit. Uh, we get to see their meet cute. We get to find out that Rose was sick and now she's not because the island has healed her. And Bernard reaches peace with Rose, knowing okay, so the solution has been found. We need to stay here so that you'll never uh, you know have to worry about being sick again, and we can be together forever. And that's what happens. <laughs> that's yeah. that's Rose and Bernard's story. It no, yeah, you, you could you could really like draw a line between SOS and the end, right? Like they say at the end of the episode, "I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave the island," and they don't leave the island. They're they there, are they two of the only characters to never leave the island. So I think it, it's it's so interesting. I think I sort of forget how the resolution of these characters within SOS does reverberate in these characters, and that's partially because again, these characters sort of go off the map for so long that we don't necessarily think about like the Rose and Bernard character journey because their appearances are so spotty. And before we get into the episode, I do want to bring up one quick thing because I I know that we sort of vary in our own opinions as to like how timely we want to make these podcasts in terms of referencing what's, what's going on. Uh, I do want to say at the top here that, you know, obviously we are sort of proceeding with our usual recap for the week amidst uh, some very, troublesome and and some very uh you know torrential events going on outside of our hatch here i I just want to like reestablish that in no way uh does this mean that we are sort of invalidating the importance of the topics and the conversations that are are happening nowadays i think that there is some value into providing those moments where even for the most invested in certain causes to sort of like take that take that breath you know, and, and be able to divest your attention into something that is silly and heartening, but something that ultimately takes you away to an island, perhaps. And, and so I just want to establish that at the top. that We have received some very kind words about what this podcast means to people uh, in these very troubling times. And so I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to continue to be that outlet for you. But in no ways does that mean that this is necessarily invalidating and important stuff that is going on outside this podcast. Yeah, look, a lot of people are obviously angry right now, upset right now. There are a lot of very important conversations that need to be had right now. And this is really not one of them, uh, this conversation about Lost and SOS. But look, uh, if if listening to Mike and I be doofuses about Lost is is helpful for you, uh, then it's helpful for us as Yeah, as we will well. doof on. Uh, we will do on before we do on before we go forth into the jungle. I want to take a quick second to thank our sponsors for this episode. Support for today's episode comes from Progressive Insurance. Fun fact: Progressive customers qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up for Progressive Auto Insurance. Discounts for things like enrolling in automatic payments, insuring more than one car, going paperless, and of course being a safe driver. Plus, customers who bundle their auto with home or add renter's insurance save an average of 12% 
on their auto. There's so many ways to save when you switch. And once you're a customer with Progressive, you get unmatched claim service, 24-7 support online or by phone. It's no wonder why more than 20 million drivers trust Progressive and why they've recently climbed to the third largest auto insurer in the country. Get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Auto insurance from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, home and renter's insurance not available in all states, provided and serviced by affiliated and third-party insurers. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. Does Progressive cover any uh, tow jobs from when your car gets stuck in the snow and there's not a friendly man to help I'm not you out? sure. I'm not sure. But uh, obviously, Progressive would have been helpful here for Rose and Bernard in their Meet Cute episode here in SOS, directed by Eric Lanouville. Am I saying that right? Have <laughs> oh, I didn't realize Danielle Rousseau briefly dropped to this podcast for this a second, feels, Josh. This, this feels familiar, but this could be deja vu, or this could be... Uh, we're or deja lenu. <laughs> that feels like deja vu, too. Uh, <laughs> written by Stephen Maida and Leonard Dick. It originally aired April 12th, 2006. It is the Rose and Bernard episode, and it's a delight. And like it is one of those... like These are the kinds of episodes, I think, that... like. Uh, that's the stuff that hits so good for me on mm. on the rewatch when uh, when you know that it's really the character stuff that pays off so well on the show. And as you mentioned at the top, I think really built on the backs of uh, Sam Anderson and L. Scott Caldwell's incredible performances as Bernard and Rose. Uh, and we begin with Bernard and Rose, right? Like we start off with a pantry organization. <laughs> yeah, why? Why do so? I guess do they? Do you think for convenience' sake they just decided to make an outdoor pantry happen instead of keeping it all in the hatch? Yeah, you know the the hatch is like a couple miles inland. Uh, you know it's hard to get to if you've got you know everybody is sleeping out on the beach and you want everyone to be able to eat cereal. Maybe you just uh, you keep that close by. I suppose so. Yeah, maybe like dry goods are kept out. Though I don't know. Apparently, if if condiments can last, I don't know, yeah, years out on the island, then everything's fine to sit out open in the middle of the jungle. Ranch is fine. Uh, and so Bernard is is uh, is getting mad at the bag of potato chips. Uh, but really, what it is is he's getting mad at the fact that everybody's given up. His experience was very different from everybody else's, right? Yeah. He he, he was on the he was he was taking a, a bathroom break and then had to get into an emergency seat and then the seat got trapped into a tree and then he had to survive for forty eight ish days uh, with like by the skin of his teeth, thinking that he was going to be murdered at any given time. Like he was on the run. For the whole thing. And everybody else here has just been kind of like uh, they're able to organize pantries. And he's he's not happy that people aren't mobilizing and trying to get the hell out of here. Yeah, I think if there is like a little bit of a missed opportunity in this episode, I do. We see it a bit when Bernard does go to Echo. But I wonder what Bernard's opinions are on the way the other tailies have sort of acclimated into 815, right? Like, Anna Lucia, even though she is as guarded as ever, has sort of become, like, a loyal soldier under Jack, and she's on Ben guarding duty. Libby has very clearly fallen, uh, not only in with Hurley, but also, like, into the day-to-day of the camp. Echo's got his own project, and I think Bernard is sort of like the uh, the Mugatu in Zoolander. He feels like he's taking crazy pills because he's like the only one who's like, we, I went through the, we went through this traumatic experience, and I'm, am I the only one that still remembers that? 
Um, I am just thinking of Sam Anderson in Mugatu Regalia, and it is a strange mental image. Uh, Rose, she's so hot right now. Well, it's funny because Bernard does sort of have a strut, right? Like, there are a few times, like, you see Bernard is, like, walking towards people with excitement and glee, and he's just, like, kind of, like, strutting at people. Uh, so there may be like a little bit of an I'm a model. You know what I mean? Like I do think that Bernard does his thing on the catwalk. I yeah, think so. the catwalk. He's just is not able to uh, to bring everyone else in on the catwalk. You know, he's no. walking in alone. <laughs> he's on his own catwalk. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's he's not thrilled that everybody seems to have given up on getting rescued. Meanwhile, at the hatch. John Locke hasn't given up uh, trying to figure out what the hell he saw uh, during the lockdown. Um, and I feel like I, I don't fully understand why John Locke is choosing to draw on an Apollo bar wrapper. Um, this is like some sort of Willy Wonka nonsense, right? Like he got his golden ticket and now he's drawing on the back. Clearly this dude has not watched enough Bob Ross. Like he's crudely sketching out the question mark and then like a couple of other things though we'll find out in this episode he'll sort of get his groove back by the end it's clear that ben is living rent-free in his head at this point and that he is so perturbed by this idea that the button could all be fake that it is clouding the memories that he had of that blast door map why does there's gotta be paper in the hatch They've got so many things in the hatch. They've got protein powder in the hatch. They've got paper in the hatch. There's a whole shelf of books. Rip out the Dostoyevsky like Ben did to draw his map. Do you think it's possible that um, uh, Locke has opened up every Apollo bar searching for the golden ticket to explain the Blastor map? Oh, I like that. Or maybe, maybe Locke. I, I would not be surprised if John Locke's favorite movie was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because, like, he wants to be Charlie, right? He, he wants to be this this podunk boy who gets the opportunity of a lifetime, and through his good virtues and because he's special, he gets to be in charge of a factory. Yeah, and so I guess in that, that perspective, Anthony Cooper is sort of like the the hellish version of Willy Wonka. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's the Slugworth. Anthony Cooper is Slugworth. Oompa loompa doompa dee kidney. Yeah, but I think it's really Ben Linus who's Slugworth. Uh, yeah. You know, snake oil salesman who's not exactly who he says he is. He even kind of uh, has, like, Slugworth glasses for a little portion yeah, of the time. Yeah, he does. He does. Uh, I want the everlasting gobstopper. Uh, so Locke is, like, so into the drawing that he's not even paying attention to the numbers. Uh, and Jack, like, walks up and he's like, hey, uh, could you please type in the numbers? Not because I believe in them, but because the noise is awful. Could you just please put in the numbers? Uh, so Locke does it. And we're like, uh, we're not quite at like peak. John Locke gives no Fs about the hatch, mm-hmm. but we're, we're really close to it. We're really yeah, close we're, to and it. we're a couple. It's so interesting. Again, these like ebbs and flows, much like the tie, because he'll come back by the end. But then two episodes from now, once he finds the pearl, that's once again going to recede. So it's going to be like a brief hot flash here in Locke's uh, dedication to the hatch. But what it's worth, uh, Anna Lucia seems to be not perturbed by the noise. She's just reading her atlas, watching uh, Ben sort of hang out in the cell. You know, to some degree, this must feel, uh, you know, very normal for Anna. Like, she's, mm. like, kind of, like, back on her job to a certain extent. Right, like, locks her big mic at a certain point. Yeah, she's, like, she gets to, like, stay inside, too, is probably not the worst thing for somebody who's just been running around for so long. She Literally. Feels like, she, like, she has some utility. Uh, so I, I expect that Anna, in this moment, at least feels useful. Uh, and... I'm glad that in her dying days she feels <laughs> oh, 
she feels useful because we are in the penultimate Anna Lucia. Oh, well, I guess it's not the penultimate episode uh, for Anna yeah, Lucia. Yeah, because like, do we count like the end of that episode as like that's really the? Fu- I mean, yeah, and then she'll also appear in uh, some season six episodes. Well. And she she pops up in question mark as a ghost, you know? So oh, like, yeah. And we'll see her body too. So uh, yeah, we'll we see her body in her it, funerals in three minutes, most memorably. Uh, as viewed from the contestant of three minutes in the famous The End of Extinction. Oh, yeah. We're still not spoiling the outcome of that. But I think by the time we get to the season two feedback show, uh, we will be telling you which ending is the definitive best, <laughs> best ending, ending of Lost any episode of, of Lost as very mathematically discovered. Anyway, so Jack's going to go up to Anna. She, he wants to talk to the prisoner. He wants to talk to the guy he doesn't know his name, Benjamin Linus, who is on a hunger strike, two days in a row of no food, no water, nothing to say. The and monastic Jack, approach. Jack is tired of waiting, so he's going to go and sit down with, uh, quote-unquote, Henry Gale, a.k.a. Ben Linus, and this is what's going to happen. I hear you've lost your appetite. Okay, don't talk. He's never that good at bedside manner anyway. I'm going to change that dressing on your shoulder if you try anything. We've got a problem. So, Henry... I was thinking about something you were saying before we found out who you are. This is going to sting. <laughs> yeah, you were saying that if you were one of them, that you'd lead us into a trap. Capture our people. Force the trade. Us for you. Pretty good idea, Henry. Since you are one of them, I thought now might be a good time to use it. I'm going out to the line that we're not supposed to cross and telling them that we've got you. And if they want you back, it's going to cost them. And when we get Walt back, you might just have been worth all the trouble. Say something? They'll never give you Walt. Except that we'll absolutely give you Walt. Uh, yeah, they will say, absolutely we're, give we're you having, Walt. We're, we're having trouble with Walt, actually. You take him off our hands. Yeah, they will very, very, very much give you Walt. Uh, that is a for sure thing that they will do. I guess that that decision is made without Ben's consultation. Uh, you know, I think Ben is eventually going to say, like, I'm not thrilled about the arrangement that was made without my participation, mm-hmm. but a deal's a deal, so we got to do it. Uh, which I don't know why he goes through with it. You know, why doesn't yeah. he just, you know, like be like, all right, well, Mike and Walt, you got to stay in the barracks. Uh, you don't want to leave anyway. And why don't they just try and do their like uh, their head spinning? The others are good guys deal that they do so often with the people that they take. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, Mike, do we count 
uh, Ben getting doctored by Jack as a beatdown? Does this hit the BLB counter? Because he does seem to be in some measure of pain when the bandage is being replaced. I don't know. I don't know if I want to count like treating Doc- a wound as a beatdown. Beat <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't, if that's true, then like Jack's like a prize boxer considering all the medical well, care that he applies. You gotta, you, we gotta say now. I think that you know we we can be up and down on the good Doctor Jack Shepard on this podcast. We do the Jack voice every once in a while, but I think that this is an episode where you and I are probably going to be in lockstep. We're like banner episode for Jack Shepard. Completely. I mean, on only a few episodes after completely schools Sawyer and gets all the medicine back like Jack is he's doing something this episode which once again as we sort of complain about like why is nobody doing anything after the big reveal of Ben as Henry Gale Jack is gonna do something here and granted it's not going to necessarily pan out in the way he intends but I give him all the kudos in the world for like actually trying to broker something with the information that he has and look would it have happened? I'm not sure. Clearly, the others are sort of like masters of uh, being able to surround these guys, as we saw in the hunting party. So it's a thing where, like, if they wanted Ben back, as we've talked about, they could very easily get him back. So I don't know how much Jack's claim of holding Ben as hostage for a trade could actually hold water. But it's a hell of a lot better than what everyone else was doing, which was essentially nothing. And I also really love this scene because I believe... Is this the first one-on-one Jack and Ben scene, Josh? I feel like even when he came in as Henry Gale, there were not moments when Jack sat down mano-a-mano with Ben. Maybe not mano-a-mano, but they were in the bathroom together. Oh, right. That is true. Uh, But I guess maybe this this is more so the first scene between Jack and Ben Linus, not Henry Gale. Right, and yeah. even though even though Ben's sort of in this intermediary thing with like I'm an other, but I'm not the guy in charge. Oh, you don't want to anger him. Like this is going to be a, maybe not as tantamount of a pairing as Locke and Ben, but this is still going to be extremely important, especially when it comes to season three. Uh, as totally. Ben as Ben needs Jack, and as the second half of the season is going to focus on eight one five versus the others and these two guys squaring off. Like you could see that dynamic almost start to emerge here even though the circumstances are going to more so lead us to that point in season three you can see how fiery jack is at the revelation as to who ben is and his adamancy that you know this has just only reinvigorated my hatred of the others uh the other thing uh that i was wondering here is is this a missed opportunity for ben to be like hey don't do that look all right so this is why i'm here uh, touch, so the, I, touch my back. <laughs> uh, touch my back. Uh, I I am one of them, obviously. You now know this. Uh, and it, we don't have a doctor right now. We don't have a surgeon. I have a tumor on my spine. We know things about you guys. We know that you're the surgeon. Um, and basically, everyone was like, hey, why don't you go and try and buddy up with the surgeon? And maybe he will do this for you. And so I've, like, gone rogue to, like, see if you would help me. Mm. And, uh, you know, I would really love it if you could help me. And if you do this for me, I will I will show you how to take them down. I'll tell you how to get to them. I'll tell you what the moves are. And then obviously betray you after I've told you everything <laughs> about how to take out the others. Interesting. He could also say, like, hey, if you want to use me as a tray, like... You shouldn't because I'm a turncoat. Like, they're, you wouldn't be able to get me for Walt. I'm not worth Walt. They don't care about me at this point. He could essentially pitch himself as Alex of like, hey, I actually, uh, maybe I wasn't helping you guys outright like she did with Claire, but like, screw the others. 
I want to help you guys. There's just this tiny little thing, and it's the cancerous lump on my back that I would need you to take care of first. Yeah, so I think there's some moves here that he's not using. Uh, just food for thought, food for thought. Um, all right, uh, how about how about a snow day? Uh, let's let's go to the first flashback of the episode. We've got the sound pulled. We'll listen in, and then we'll talk about it. But obviously, just to paint the picture, uh, we're in Niagara, right? We're in uh, we're yeah, I believe uh, so. I don't I don't know. Did they did they, I don't know how much they change locations uh, since I know that the proposal scene is going to take place in Niagara, but I never knew if this snow scene was like Boston. I want to believe. I want to believe that this is Niagara. I want to believe that this is uh, just like a stone's throw away from Haley Strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I want to I want to believe that that's where Rose and Bernard are. But either way, it's very snowy. It's nighttime, and uh, this old married couple is in a little bit of a dispute. Except maybe they're not an old married couple yet. <laughs> Don't gun it. You're digging yourself in. Just tap the gas lightly. All due respect, I have been driving in snow my whole life. You mind stepping back? Well, you have to rock it out. You're not going to be able to... I'm calling AAA. What, so they can send a tow truck? Trust me, I can do this. Okay, ease on the gas. That's it. Doing great. Almost. Are you okay? Oh, yeah. Sure, I'm fine. Well, you know, I would have gotten it out eventually. Oh, sure. July's right around the corner. Well, um, thanks for helping me. Sure. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm Rose. Oh, uh, Bernard. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah. <clears throat> okay. <sighs> drive, uh, drive safe now, yeah. okay? Yeah, 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 you too. Yeah. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Uh, coffee would be nice. Yeah. So, Josh, I know that we talk about all the connections of characters and the flashbacks of Lost. Who would have thought uh, there was an opportunity where if Rose had indeed called AAA, then Mr. Echo would have shown up and killed her car? <laughs> It's so dumb. What a what a dumb joke that I love so much. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Where are you towing my car? I will not tell you. Yeah, knock knock. Who's there? I'll tell you later. <laughs> knock knock. Where are you take my car? I'll t- I'll tell you later. Um, incredible. Uh, what a clever little thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. like I I think that the story of Rose and Bernard is is so sweet and wonderful and empowering in a lot of ways. Of like. You know, maybe you're a 56 year old single person and you just haven't met the love of your life yet, but that doesn't mean you're not going to. Right. Uh, you know, like that's wonderful. I love that piece of this. Like, life doesn't like 
it, you know, you don't like you go to school, you go to college, you get the job, you get married, you have the kids and that's all done like in your 20s. Like it, life doesn't flow in like this like cookie cutter expected way that like fairy tales make it seem to be. Uh, everybody has a different story. Everybody has a different journey. Some people don't get married. Some people don't want to get married. Some people don't have kids. Some people don't want to have kids. Some people do. Uh, life just flows very differently for for everybody. And I, I I think that it's it's a it's a beautiful thing that they do here. Where I think that they trade on this expectation that Rose and Bernard have been together forever because right. they have that dynamic. They have this dy- dynamic of these two people who like. Met in their twenties, uh, who like met when they were really. Yeah, really I mean, young. one of the first things we hear Rose say is like, "Oh, I always hold on to my husband's wedding ring because his fingers swell." Like, I think the connotation behind that is like they've been married for at least thirty years, and that's just something that she's you know dealt with throughout their decades of marriage in- together. Instead of it being like what, like a week, two weeks, three Something weeks? Like, yeah, they, they were flying know? back from their honeymoon. You know, so like it's just it's it's really a, a beautiful subversion that moment where like they're bickering like an old married couple. And then you find out that this is how they met. And they just met within the last year or so. Uh, it's just very hopeful and wonderful and good and great. And the chemistry between them. Um, the way that Sam Anderson later on is going to say in the episode, uh, we'll hear it in a little bit of like, I knew after five minutes, like yeah. we just fell into this groove. Uh, we fell into a rhythm like we've known it, each other forever. And then you just have to rock it and you make your way out of that groove, even though I guess in this case you want to stay in the groove. But we we talked about it before, like in that in that reunion scene of Bernard and Rose earlier in season two about how Sam Anderson and L. Scott Caldwell intentionally waited to meet each other until mm. that scene. Um, there is just this very palpable rhythm to the two of them together that I'm glad we get this one-off flashback. Completely. Um, you know, and and I think that it is so it is so emblematic of Lost and what it's trying to say of um, the people and the journeys that are going to mean the most to you and are going to be the most important to you um, come unexpectedly and arrive with all of the authority and urgency uh, and um, undeniability of a plane crash uh, and in this case a car stuck in the snow uh, and it's just a really 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 touching good scene and the whole storyline is really really great in this episode. And what I didn't realize before watching it this time around is how the Rose and Bernard story in this episode is really a smaller distillation of the man of science, man of faith dichotomy that we have been talking about so much. Maybe it's less so like science of faith and more so like man of action, man of words. I mean, Bernard is going to bring up in a flashback later on of, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't help but try. That's who I am. And Bernard, no matter on the island or in flashback, is somebody who will say, like, well, let's find another way. Like, I will, I am resolved to solve this problem no matter what it may take. Whereas Rose is somebody who I think is, has more of the conditioning of it is what it is. And we sort of see that even when they first meet, right? Rose is definitely, I guess, the man of science from that perspective. Like, I'm just going to call AAA. They'll show up. They'll drive over from Nigeria and tow me away. But Bernard sort of has the faith here of, no, 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 I can help you here. You just have to believe in me. Of course, that's also going to... It'll stay that way, I think, in the flashback, especially when it comes to the Isaac of Aluru of it all, but it gets completely warped on the island, where Bernard is the man of action here, but it's more so, we have to logically get off the island here, and Rose is somebody who said, no, I'm going to set into this groove, clearly something has happened, you know, I need, I feel something within me uh, that maybe Bernard felt all the way back then in terms of that magic. It's a very... Small dynamic in the larger scheme of the Jack and Locke of it all, but I thought it was a really nice 
parallel to watch these two. I was also a little surprised because throughout my viewings of Lost, I always thought that Rose was probably the most static character. I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way, but I think that one of the great things about Lost is that a lot of our main characters do undergo some sort of change over their time on the island. And I think that Rose, at least arriving on the island and having her cancer cured, like she always knew who she was. And the cancer curing her sort of made her very set in her ways. And oftentimes she's very much right. Look at the MVP points. Uh, And I think that she's a character that as a result necessarily did not undergo a lot of like personal growth as a result. I think more so her growth happened in between these flashback scenes and arriving on the island where somebody who disparaged the work of Isaac of Uluru is now on the island saying, wow, this crazy island somehow cured my cancer, and I'm going to roll with it. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that that's... I, I think if you examine SOS, is this episode not a distillation of Lost? I, yeah. think, that, <laughs> I think that SOS is, like, really flagging. Like, it's it's the signal of, like, hey, so this is what our show's about. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the show. Who would have thought so the you, thesis would have come in SOS? You know, like the, the, the tip off of the end came in Dave and the thesis of the show of like find the people who matter to you and you'll you know you'll you'll meet you'll know them when you meet them. Uh or eventually you'll 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 recognize that uh is is really prevalent throughout this episode. So I think it's great. Um all right, Bernard is uh model walking, he's strutting, he's moving with a purpose. You really gotta go back and watch it if you just yeah. listen to the podcast. So, it is it is worth just like maybe we can make a, a gif of this. I'm Mike. I'm hoping somebody can have like Sam Anderson's strut here. And maybe it's partially due to just like the unevenness of walking on sand, but my god <laughs> yeah. does he strut it out. I would love to see somebody make a gif of this. Would be would be really spectacular of him just like moving with such a purpose. He's very happy about something. He's got a great idea. Uh, Rose, meanwhile, she's trying to give some Dharma brand uh, Malomars to Hurley, but he's on the the water and fruit diet at this point. Uh, so he's not eating Malamars anymore. He's feeling like he wants to turn the corner. Um, and Bernard interrupts the offer anyway. He says, "All right, Hurley, I need you to recruit some people. I need you to get Jin and Son. I need you to get Libby." I need you to get Jenkins and Craig and Neil. You know, the frozen yogurt guy who makes uh, frozen yogurt? Oh, uh, Neil. And this is our first mention of Neil. We will not see him. I guess he does not show up. I don't think we'll see him until, like, a Missing Pieces That is uh, correct. episode. Because, yeah, I believe that F- Neil Frogert for a while was, like, one of the fun little in-jokes of the writer's yes. room. I think uh, Damon yes. and Carlton joke, like, oh, he's super important. And we don't actually see him either in Missing Pieces or on the main show until, I think, season four when the camps divide. Yes, played by Sean Whalen, a huge fan of the O'Neaters. Uh Sorry, that's O'Netters. Uh Sean Whalen playing uh, Neil Froger. That's a that thing you do joke. Uh, and he's great. Great character who is going to, uh, for the frozen yogurt man is going to have a very fiery demise. At oh, some boy, point. yeah. He's going to have fun. Also, I'm sad, or maybe we did see Jenkins. I don't know, Josh. There's something about the name Jenkins, and I don't mean to appropriate this profession to all Jenkins, but for some reason, as soon as I heard Jenkins... I think of, like, this butler, that somehow a man crashed on the island who used to be a butler, and now he has sort of been outfitted to become a butler for 815, and that's who's been recruited to this cause. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I think that that works. Uh, Mr. Jenkins, I think Richard Jenkins, I think the actor Rick- Richard, Richard Jenkins, Jenkins would be a great lost character. I imagine he shows up like, you're fish in water, Mr. Reyes. <laughs> Just imagine a man in like a full tuxedo on the beach. Oh my god, that's really, really great. Shall that's I pull really the Dharma van around, Mr. Reyes? 
Oh my god, that's incredible. Uh, there's also a Richard here. So I guess this island is is big enough for two Richards. Or it could be Alpert in disguise. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe Richard Alpert's been been peeping on the action. And Ralph. Yeah. Shoot his eye out, kid. Maybe he had, and that's why actually Ralph was supposed to be the one to shoot the uh the fuses in the season three finale, but he shot his eye out ahead of time, and that's why he got uh disrecruited from the cause. Listen, I think that we're gonna be able to take some rightful pot shots at uh Bernard's management skills mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. episode. But I do want to just take a moment to say screw the gawkers, man. The gawkers are like layabouts. They're they're not worker bees whatsoever yo, this episode. Yo, gawkers, get to work. <laughs> get to work. What else are you doing, gawkers? Gawkers, stop gawking. Gawkers, go to work. Get who get, go what else do you have to do today? If all the people on the edge of extinction can go up the mountain and bring <laughs> down 20 coconuts one at a time uh, all day long. Do you think that's what Bernard's problem was? They shouldn't have recruited Jenkins and Craig and Neil and said recruited like Ethan Zahn and Natalie yeah. Anderson. Ethan's Rom. Yeah, no, he's <laughs> gone. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just like the Gawkers really irritated me on this watch. I have uh, like I, I understand that Bernard's you know tact needs uh, some tinkering, but... These gawkers need to stop gawking. Anyway, so he's he's putting something together. We're gonna we're gonna find out a little bit more about that in a second. Meanwhile, Jack is gonna is gonna put his plan into motion. Anna offers to come. Jack says, "You need to be here with with with, uh, with the prisoner." She's gonna give him uh, her gun. She says, "You need this more than I do. Don't go out there alone." So Jack's gonna go on a recruitment drive, and it's gonna be the start of the the Jack and Kate storyline. And I think that that's also really nice to have in conjunction with the Rose and Bernard stuff in this episode. If Jack and Kate are fate and we get like sort of the cute little story of them caught in the net in this episode at the same time that as a parallel we're getting the Bernard and Rose stuff. Again, SOS really uh, telling on itself uh, in this episode. Lost is really giving us just about all of the endgame secrets here. Are we a little surprised that Anna does not bristle against Jack's trade plan more? Because I mean, she has experience with, with having an other in her midst. Right? Do you think that she doubts that idea, but just decides to not necessarily speak up against it because it's Jack or because she knows that uh, she can look after him in the hatch instead? Yeah, I think it's that. I, I, I think it's more Anna trusting herself to be able to handle the situation even without a gun. Yeah, and I think there's also this really interesting moment where Jack sort of like contemplatively eyeballs Locke before telling Anna that she should stay. And I guess it's sort of like a double duty thing of like, you're on Ben duty, but also you're sort of on Locke duty. Uh, Because, I mean, even if Locke was up to completely innocent things, the dude is hobbling. So, like, should Ben make an escape here? Locke is SOL, not SOS at this point. Yeah. uh, So Jack's going to go to Kate and Sawyer. Were, are they, like, go searching for oysters? Didn't we just find out there aren't oysters on the island? Yeah, I was thinking maybe some other form of shellfish, maybe a nice okay. mussel or a clam or something. Uh, but it, it seems weird, given the fact there is a now restocked pantry why you would be wanting to seek out seafood after you've yeah, had, no, like, fun. two months of it. But They're having a good time. They're just having a good time. Along comes Dr. Giggles, uh, according to Sawyer. Good nickname. I like that one. Uh, and he he's going back to the jungle for the old prisoner exchange. We're gonna we're gonna trade the guy in the hatch for Walt and Sawyer. Uh, Sawyer thinks that he's being invited along for the gun, 
And it turns out, no, I already have a gun. Thanks for that. And you're not invited, but I'd like Kate to come. Uh, I love how much Jack has just great. been owning Sawyer since that uh, poker game. Of yeah. Sawyer, Sawyer really thought, like, since he was the one who had the guns, that he's the one making decisions. And Jack has just been proving him time and time again that he is oh so wrong about that. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, but it's the start of the Jack and Kate storyline in this episode, which I think is really, really lovely. Um, all right, well, Bernard's going to round up all of the gawkers. He's got his crew in place. And he's going to give him the spiel. He's got an idea. Let's listen in. Okay, two months we've been on this island. Two months. And already we have a water trough and we've got a, a, a food pantry. And people are taking showers in your hatch. Have you forgotten that we all crashed on this island? It's like none of you want to go home again. Well, how can you say that? Of course we want to go home. Well, then why aren't we doing anything about it? Dude, we like... Built a raft. That got blown up. Okay. So what are we doing now? That pallet of food had a parachute, which means a plane dropped it here, which means there are other planes that fly over the island. So we are going to build a sign, a, a massive sign along the beach. So that way, if a plane flies over or a, a satellite takes pictures from up there, we want to make damn sure that they know we're here. They, they know about us. Maybe we should speak to Jack about this first. Well, do we have to run everything by Jack? I mean, he's not the, the president. He's, he's a doctor. You're a dentist. <clears throat> uh, can, I, can I speak to you for just a second? Honey, it is just a sign. I don't see what the harm is. The harm is you are telling these people about airplanes and satellites coming out of nowhere to save the day. I'm just trying to do something. I want to get back to our life. Well, the only thing you are doing is giving these people false hope. Excuse me. I have signed a belt. All right. Uh, I want to get this going right away. We've waited long enough. <laughs> wow, it's so much shade for being a dentist. Uh, seriously. Uh, You're a dentist. And also, uh, poor part on the gawkers to like, openly laugh at Rose's crack. You know? like I guess it was funny, but at the same time, like laughing Screw at the, the guy. Screw the gawkers. Screw the gawkers. I'm so mad at the gawkers. You've got one job. Get off the island. That's what you got to try and do. You haven't been doing anything unless you're on pantry duty with Rose. That would be something that I would buy into if this is like a, a war between Bernard's camp of people trying to build an SOS side and Rose's camp of like, let's build out a pantry. <laughs> like, yeah, this is a big battle of the construction project. We're working on a kitchen here. Uh, I need, Bernard, you're taking away people who are helping me build an island on the island in the middle of our kitchen. Yeah, I think that this scene, especially the end, actually reverberates really nicely once we find out more from the flashback. Like, the idea of false hope, not only is it, like, a very uh, striking statement, surprisingly so from Rose's part, towards Bernard, but it also reverberates given the fact that, you know, she was adamantly against the Isaac stuff because she felt like he was sort of, like, giving false hope, in a manner of speaking, of, like, 
this is not going away and you were just making things worse for yourself by thinking that it is and giving yourself a form of false hope. So it's almost like nailing that point home for him uh, that sort of digs the knife in a little deeper. And I will say at the time in a couple of viewings that I've done of this episode before coming in here, I definitely thought I'm like, why is this SOS storyline coming in now? Why are they deciding to make a signal now? Upon listening to this scene especially, I think it does make a little bit of sense that Bernard would think, okay, first he did not experience the raft blowing up directly, so his hopes are not as dashed as maybe someone like Hurley or Claire or the Quans especially. But he talked about how, you know, the plane passed by overhead. They don't know the link between Dharma and the others at this point, that these people are fully aware that 815 is on the island. He could say this could just be a random cargo plane that they want to signal. So I understand where Bernard is coming from here because he doesn't have all the pieces. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think so as well. But at the same time, like, come on, guys. Uh, like, it's been like a month since the, since the, the raft. What have you done? What have any of you done? What have any of you people done? I wonder if Jack, like, if the hatch hadn't been discovered, obviously so much different stuff would have happened. But I wonder, do you think the the discovery of the hatch and the button took Jack's attention away from finding another way off the island? And you could say that, like, had that not happened, then maybe Jack could give that rousing speech that Bernard is attempting to do here of, okay, look— that didn't work, but we found this supply drop. We're going to signal a plane here. Instead, he is more invested in going after the others and keeping the sanctity of the hatch going. I'm thinking about this a little bit more, and I am wondering, um, first of all, we know that there's not a lot of utility to an SOS sign here. Uh, an SOS sign on the island isn't going to buy you much, uh, unless you've got, like, um, you know, uh, Naomi and the and Frank Lapidus flying. Mm. Well, I don't know. I mean, if uh, Survivor Borneo taught us anything, you need like everyone in raincoats doing uh, what is it like uh, snow angels and synchronization. You need yeah, like a, but, but, a handy but, phrase like Toggy is groggy. <laughs> yeah, but they're like not like misplaced in time and space, right? Yeah. Like you know, you could access Borneo with an airplane <laughs> and conventional means. Uh, the island a little trickier to to get to. They don't know any of that, but you know who I do have a lot of faith in, even if I don't have a lot of faith in Bernard's managerial abilities, is Saeed Jarrah, absent from this episode. Surprisingly so. Uh, You know, they gave Naveen Andrews the week off. That's fine. He's been very present lately, and like maybe he's still just like uh, like, uh, blowing off some steam from having almost shot Henry in the face. Face. I would not but be surprised. I would not be if, surprised if actually the the in canon explanation is that after he shot Ben, Jack like kicked him out for a second. You know, like don't come back here. Go clear your head for a bit. You're too emotionally involved. Like wait until your patience is more so uh, screwed back in before you come back and handle this at all. If he hasn't set the gawkers to work on building an SOS signal yet, then maybe it isn't the best idea. Maybe maybe not, because like, that seems like a Saeed Jarrah idea. Yeah, that was him in the first half of season one, right? That was, the whole, that was the whole beacon with the laptop batteries. That was really when Saeed was in his prime in terms of becoming a possible leader for this group. So yeah, maybe if he did not show the, uh, the, the wherewithal to come up with this, then that means that it's not necessarily the most productive idea. But isn't this one of the very first things that Tom Hanks does in Castaway when he's on the island? Doesn't mm. he make some sort of sign? That's true, and I guess... So the, the Losties have sort of, like, reverse Castaway here, in that they started <laughs> with the raft, and then they yeah. went to the SOS signal. 
Yeah, the raft blows up fairly early on in uh, the lost version of events as opposed to Castaway. That's like the last thing to happen in Castaway uh, is the destruction of the raft. Uh, It's one of the first things that happens as far as the island is concerned here. Anyway, lots of questions here. Uh, You get to see a lot of the gawkers, too. Like, and I love like the extras in the background just like nodding along like, yeah, he brings up a good point. Ah, ha, ha. Rose is very funny. It's like, this is our moment. This is our episode. Everybody emote. This is how I become Uh, a Frogert. You know, like the one guy with like his toothpick and then the one like older gentleman who looks like he could be uh, the Kevin Senior who uh, was Mm. dead the whole time on the island, according to the Lost RPG. Uh, Lots of great background characters here for Rich Filiberto to be uh, taking note of for the eventual third episode of the Lost RPG. We've got Craig, right? We've got Craig in here. We've got Richard. We've got Ralph. We've got Jenkins, and obviously Frogert's already iconic, but these are people we got to flesh out some stories for. Do you think Rodney and Billy, like, they were clearly part of this conversation, but do you think they are going to do any sort of manual labor at this point? Or are they just going to go off and murder more people? Yeah, no, they're slacking. They're slacking. They're they're getting LVP points this episode for sure. Um, All right, let's go to another sound. Uh, Next flashback, uh, five months deep into the relationship, and Bernard is looking to kick things up a notch, and there is a complication. Uh, let's go to the restaurant and find out how all of this is going to go down. It's just amazing, isn't it? I'm sure it's beautiful. You're not impressed, huh? Yeah. So what does God have to do to get your attention? Bernard, what are you doing? Rose, I've been a bachelor for 56 years, and then I met you, and we just fell into this rhythm like we had known each other forever. I'd always dreamed of finding somebody like you, but I'd given up hope that I ever would. I know, I know, it's it's crazy. Um, We just met five months ago. But five months is long enough. Because I knew after five minutes. Rose. I love you. Will you marry me? Bernard, I'm dying. And I'm dying. Uh, uh, would you excuse us for a minute? I've been in remission for the last couple of years. But now it's back, and this time it's not going away. My doctor says I have about a year, maybe a little longer.
You haven't answered my question. Are you sure? Oh, I'm sure. God, that's such a good scene. So we we've you know uh, we t- tend to do the recap and then we go into the to the feedback of the others section. But I, I do want to pull this from the others section because I didn't know this um, until uh, approaching this podcast that apparently a lot of what's going on with the Rose and Bernard storyline is um, drawn from L. Scott Caldwell's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, L. Scott Caldwell, who plays Rose, uh, that uh, according to the season two DVD, uh, and this was compiled by the great Ben behind the curtain, uh, she says that the story for this episode, it's loosely based on events in my personal life. My husband, who I married during the pilot, had an advanced cancer, and about a year after we married, he died. When you meet somebody who's in the final stages of their life, the other person, the healthy person, is going to do all they can to keep you living. And the person that's going through it, at least in my experience, after they've been fighting for so long, you just reach that fork in the road where you can just keep going down that path of struggle, or you can stand where you are and accept where you are and accept it as a blessing, and that's a very powerful place to be. It's good to let people know that there is life. It doesn't stop you from being able to live, and it doesn't stop you from being able to love and to find the love of your life at the end of your life. It's an amazing thing. It's just a gift from God. Uh, so I think that was something that I never knew uh, in the uh, in the viewing of this episode, in the construction of this episode. How and I think it translates. Yep. Right. Like in the watching of it on this on this round anyway, uh, of how personal this one is because it is very personally drawn from uh the story of of one of the leads and so i keep drilling in to to the feedback a little bit uh we got uh, a very emotional email this week at least an, an email that made mike and i both very emotional we were texting about it uh from a great listener of the podcast joy davis who had written in and said i've rewatched lost about four times but this is my first rewatch as a cancer patient I've had, I've had stage four breast cancer since 2018, and my only hope is a cure. Rose's story touched me like nothing I've ever experienced before. It's hard to explain, but cancer has made me more in tune with what's going on in my body, and I completely understand her instinct that the cancer is gone on the island. I'm not superstitious or even a little stitious, uh, but I've been able to tell every time my cancer returns, and I'm only 30, so I'm still fine-tuning my instincts. I completely broke when These Arms of Mine by Otis Redding was playing in the car when Rose and Bernard met as that's my song with my partner. We've talked and fantasized at length about what it would be like to find an island where cancer doesn't exist and live there forever. Thank you both so much for making this dream more real and for providing a platform for me to share my story. We thank you, Joy, for thank sharing you. that story. Oh. We we thank L. Scott Caldwell for uh, for you know uh, and and the creators of Lost for interweaving their stories together because I think what we're getting out of SOS that maybe didn't hit the first time i don't know but certainly is hitting now is this feels very lived in this just feels like a very lived in very real episode of the show uh you know this feels like i don't know this this just feels feels like something that you can you can imagine um Mm -hmm. in a way that transcends imagination and it's also so interesting that l scott caldwell is now playing the opposite role in that relationship that she occupied, yeah. right? Like, she was the Bernard. 
Yeah. And now she's playing that person who has that illness and the like matter of factness, this almost, I want to say, I don't want to say confidence. That feels like a bit of a misnomer, but like the quiet confidence that she has when she tells Bernard that she's dying about her cancer. Because again, this is a character who has sort of like come to terms with it. It's such an interesting character choice that seems to be really rooted. You can't say it's unrealistic because that's exactly as you were sort of describing from her own quote, what she said, but God, what made this scene for me as great as L. Scott Caldwell was? Sam Anderson puts in so much great work. A lot of eye, great eye acting. So, I mean, uh... as soon as Rose says, Bernard, I'm dying, you could see the heartbreak in those baby blue eyes. Uh, and then just the turn that happens. He kind of has your son's eyes. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. Time travel? Asher? <laughs> Is that you? Asher is, uh, Bernard is a time traveling Asher. No, but Asher has like these like piercing blue eyes, right? He does. He absolutely yeah. does. And, but for me, like the thing that always made this scene for me was the small resilience that Bernard has when he says, You haven't answered my question. And again, it's this is Bernard, right? He's a man of adamance. He will try. And this is just another thing that like, no matter what you're going to stick in his path, he's going to clear all that debris out uh, as much as he can and keep charging forward here. He knows what he wants. Rose is the love of his life and cancer be damned. He is not letting her go. And I mean, you speak about like the interesting circumstance that maybe uh, we had not assumed about their marriage in, in a numerous amount of ways. I do wonder if the fact that like, yes, it's only been five months, but I do feel like there is something that comes with maturity and life experience as well. Right? Like, Bernard has been living for 56 years as a bachelor. Yeah, we can, we can only wonder as uh, mid-30s for me, early-30s for you, total children. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like, no, right? he's, they, they've both been through a lot. And apparently, actually, there is a deleted scene uh, from this episode where Rose talks with son, and Rose talks about having a daughter who passed away. Oh, uh, wow. So, yeah, these characters are very lived in. These characters have had so much life experience that, like, when you know, you know. No matter how many times you met, it's like you had met all those years ago instead of just five months ago in the snow. And so I think that like it, that's another realistic thing that these two people are advanced enough in their life experiences that they're like, why go through the courting process? I know I love this woman. I'm going to propose to her. But it's it's just such it's a sweet and complicated scene that is anchored by these two performances but also through like a, a real world experience and my heart goes out to l scott caldwell because i think both the bravery she shows but also probably the the complexity with which it was approaching this situation in a dramatized version that brings up a lot of very real world emotions cannot have been easy and i give her all the kudos in the world for showing that vulnerability even if rose is not particularly vulnerable in this moment because once again she's very sure in sort of seeing the end there, that she knows that it's coming in a manner of speaking, her sort of giving the nod to the writers to put this story out there is remarkable. Yeah, I expect cathartic. I, I expect yeah. it was a cathartic performance, and I know a cathartic viewing experience, uh, I, I'm sure for Joy, as Joy articulated in her email and, and many others in the audience. Um, we have to we have to transition. There's no easy way of getting uh, from from you know uh, really emotionally charged subject matter to the fact that Bernard's strutting again, uh, <laughs> and on top of that, I really can't unsee that Bernard and Asher are the same person, and I'm now convinced uh, that Bernard is uh, your son from the future, and you are Bernard's dad. I, son, 
we got to work on your walk a little bit. See, <laughs> I mean, Asher, Asher is in the stages of walking right now. If he starts walking like Sam Anderson. His, I want you to monitor his walk as it develops. If he's got a strut, the way, you know, with like sort of like the, the, the look, like the dead-eyed, like targeted <laughs> stare that Bernard has. It's like, I see treasure. I'm walking towards it. I've got an idea. If you ever see Asher doing that. I think you got your man. Yeah, I think then the then it's officially become Caden, and I'm not sure what to do with that information. <laughs> Celebrate, rejoice! Your son turns out to be incredible, exactly, and he pulls off a hell of a beard, which I cannot personally. He's a dentist, you know. He exactly. he, he he marries very well into one of the most extraordinary women we've we've seen uh, in the entirety of Lost. I'll, I'll have to work with him on his management skills. I'd be like, son, just in case you ever end up on an island one day. You know, a fine, noble career as a dentist. Uh, you know, he's probably used to pulling teeth, uh, being uh, the son of Mike Bloom, uh, who's uh, <laughs> pulling jokes out of the ether. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, the way I, I tell jokes around the household is much like pulling teeth, so I think it's uh-huh. an appropriate experience. Well, also, teeth are coming out of his mouth right now, so I think yeah. he's very... Teeth are yeah. on the mind, so I would not be surprised if... In his nascent brain, dentist is the number one career in his head right now. Yeah, I think what's happening right now is you're podcasting about Lost every single week while your son is developing teeth. Uh, and so you're turning him into future dentist Bernard. Time traveling Asher Bloom is Bernard is confirmed. All right. I think we've officially confirmed this now that my son yeah. is indeed Bernard Nadler. Yeah. I'm sad he did not keep the Bloom last name, but I suppose uh-huh. if he wants to keep inconspicuous until yeah. now, son, I'm sorry I've discovered you and hopefully the time travel police won't be after you. Are there any cool Asher Bloom anagrams that help support uh, this theory? Yeah, uh, I'm that, trying to think. I mean, Sam Anderson, uh, there's no H in there, so I guess we gotta we gotta figure it out. All right, let's put a pin in it. Let's put a pin in it. And if anyone has anything for us, theories for next week, I'd love to hear it. Uh, so he's gonna go up to Mister Echo and Charlie, who are working on the church, and we now are gonna find out it's a church. This is how we find out that it's a church, by the way, which I think is a little casual, but whatever. Yeah, it's, it's a little uh, weird that we sort of just because again we had this big thing of it's not a Starbucks, or maybe it is last week. And this I'll week tell we- you later. Knock knock. Who's there? I'll tell you later. Uh, and now is later, and we're finding out that it's a church. Uh, I will say. That Bernard says to Mr. Echo is like, you don't call, you don't write. And I think that this is the beginning of a three-part you don't call, you don't write gag uh, that involves Charlie. Because uh, Charlie is present for this. Mm-hmm. And a couple of episodes from now, Charlie's going to go up to Mr. Echo after it's been a while. Because Mr. Echo is pushing the button in the hatch now. He's going to say, you don't call, you don't write. So he's going to say that to Mr. Echo. And then I think he's going to see John Locke in uh, Further Instructions. Uh, and one of the first things he's going to say to John Locke is, you don't call, you don't write. <laughs> so you're saying that he stole the phrase from Bernard? <laughs> yeah, and he uses it twice. And I think that's it, but I'd like to just like have everybody be on alert. <laughs> Let's be on alert for for Charlie just fully plagiarizing Bernard's gag, and how often is he going to plagiarize it moving forward? Yeah, this is the new Are You Sure or Are You Him uh, mm-hmm. You don't call, you don't write. You don't write, you don't call, it's you like, don't that's write. That's a bloody good joke. Yeah, he he writes that down on his like little finger scraps. He's like, let me just... Uh, yeah, let me just I'll write, write each word on each yeah. finger. <laughs> uh, so they're building a church, and Bernard is exasperated that they're building a church. Everybody's building something. I'm trying to get us saved, and Echo says people are saved in different ways, Bernard. 
very astute, mm-hmm. uh, even a scoot. Uh, and uh, Bernard says, I like you better when you hit people with your stick. Yeah, where, where, where there are not so many before. fertile clips from this episode, that would have definitely, that would be like sound number nine, because that's a fun little one-liner for that's Bernard. That's good. It's good. Uh, I wonder if the Muzak that's playing in the hatch while John Locke is trying to uh, work out the Blastor map, uh, if that would have been sound number 10. Because it's a great little groove yeah. that's playing in the background. As Locke's trying to figure it out, he needs to talk to Ben. He can't handle the fact that he can't figure uh, out what's going on. He's, he's so, having a spiritual crisis. so childish. Like, he is throwing a tantrum. He's like, I want to see Ben now. He's, yeah. He found his gold ticket. Now he's Veruca assaulting it. Gooses! Geeses! I want, I want a-, a goose that lays gold eggs for Easter! I want a bean feast! <laughs> I want a bean feast! Who wants a bean feast? That, that is the one, like, uh, we've been giving Asher slash uh, future Bernard or past Bernard uh, a lot of beans, and that's the thing that Angela and I have kept singing is that random snatch from I want to now. I want a bean feast! Like, yeah, who, who what, wants what British that? Ch- I know British children like beans on toast, but, like, who specifies a bean feast? <laughs> I was telling Emily Fox about beans on toast recently that it was a thing, and she was surprised. Well, it's real. It's very yeah, real. And it's beans part, on and, toast. and even some children want an, an entire feast of beans. Screw the yeah. toast. I just want the bean feast. Screw the toast, man. Who knows if it's even real? All right, let's keep going. Uh, so Locke's going to be like, uh, Henry, it's John. It's John Henry. Uh, oh, John Henry's at the door. <laughs> did you put the numbers in? Did you push the button? I got to know. Answer me. I love I love any time that Locke screams something like "Answer me!" Yeah, I just think it's great. And in the hatch, Ben's loving this every last bit. Of he course. hasn't eaten or drank anything in two days, but he's feasting on John Locke's misery. That's what he he just needs to subsist on. That he doesn't need yeah. any nibbles. He can just live off of John Locke's misery. <laughs> Excuse me, what did you just say? He doesn't need nibbles. Uh, okay, all right. Let's, no, let's no, 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 no. Okay, we're not talking about the gas station attendant in the van. Let's calm down. Let's calm down. Let's everybody calm down. Uh, all right. So Bernard's uh, he's ready to get to work, but Craig didn't show up. Classic Craig. Uh, Frogert, where's Frogert? Frogert didn't show up either. Uh, and so he says, all right, we're going to go into this lava field that's half a mile inland. Little clue, early clue mm. that Lost is seeding this idea of there's a volcano on the island that's never going to get paid off. There's a lava field half a mile inland. Let's go get a bunch of people. Go get some rocks. Bring the rocks here. I'm going to sketch out the letters. It's going to say SOS. Uh, nobody really wants to be on rock patrol. Um, but uh, Bernard is insistent that his job is to sketch out the letters. Everybody's got a job. Tells Jin, Rome wasn't built in a day, you know. No, you don't. Maybe he does know that phrase, just as no one in English. Probably. And now Charlie's over here like, oh, I better use that one, too. Yeah, I'm going to use that for sure. Uh, flashback. We're going to go to Australia. Australia! Yeah, we did We're that back. belatedly after we saw Leonard last episode. We did not do that enough, considering how yeah. he says Australia. Australia! We're back. We're back in Australia, and Bernard is taking Rose to meet... Isaac of Uluru. Mystery sock. Uh, Isaac of Uluru, uh, crutches manufacturer, as far as I <laughs> yeah, can tell. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think I, I, you could assume that that's because that, you know, he has healed so many people. But to your point, he could be sidelining as like a manufacturer of wheelchairs and crutches. And this is just sort of his side gig. Yeah, I think uh, uh, crutches are to Isaac of Uluru as canned peaches and pears are to Ray Mullen. When you're in Australia, you can only really have one trade. One collection. <laughs> one collection. I exactly. believe. 
our our expertise in Australian culture, I believe, is you can only have the one collection. That's it. So we so we um, call him Crutchman Isaac of Aluru. No, that that feels very offensive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, although maybe the entirety of Isaac of Aluru is kind of offensive. We've got some. Yeah, feedback on we're talking that. about some whitewashing of Australia later on. Uh, I mean, why, why not just bring this up right now? This is from uh, Kelly Priest. Kelly Priest had written in to us and said, So I'm Australian, and I want to touch on the whole healer storyline. First of all, they have Rose and Bernard driving out, out into central Australia, which is known as an area rich in indigenous culture and is still inhabited by indigenous Australians to meet with a white man? Right, because I believe this- uh, Uluru is where Ayers Rock famously is from. Uh, uh, Kelly continues, and then this white man has the audacity to call himself Isaac of Uluru, Uluru being a hugely significant indigenous landmark. I don't know what they're going for, but it looks like an attempt to build off indigenous culture as the basis of this man's healing powers. But then the healer is white, and there are no indigenous people to be seen. It's very, very cringe. Just so bad. Overall, this storyline just does not land in 2020 p.s you guys are totally correct uh you can only have one collection if you are an australian uh, <laughs> thank you for that thank you for that for that correction the, po- the postscript is false that is not true uh you can have as many collections as you want uh yeah i don't love isaac of Aluru, but he's here uh a, a weak point in the episode uh but rose and bernard are are, are here rose is as surprised as anybody and bernard is now going to explain to, to her and to us via sound clip who Isaac of Luru is and why they are here. He's the real deal, Rose. Once I started telling people about your situation, I got three separate calls recommending him. My situation. This is why you wanted to come to Australia? To bring me to some kind of a kook? No, he's not. No, Rose, I made a $10,000 donation just to get you in to see him. Normally... I didn't ask for this! Bernard, I have made my peace with what's happening to me. Well, I haven't. I can't just do nothing, Rose. That's not me. That's not who I am. I have to try. Will you try, Rose? For me. It's such a beautiful scene. Unfortunately, a bit ruined by the fact that there are goats in the background. That that might be the GOAT sound clip of Hatch by accident. Because I I have never noticed how many goats there are at Isaac of Uluru's place. Maybe that's until until listening to the clip and what would have otherwise been a very long and uncomfortable stretch of dead air that is fully occupied by goats do you think the goats are trying to like shout at bernard like she's right dude you shouldn't have taken her you know without telling her uh i guess this is also isaac's maybe there's no way for us to know because only miles can speak to goats and he hasn't been introduced yet exactly i think that uh this is maybe isaac's third trait is he's what a faith healer slash crutch salesman (laughs) slash goat farmer see yes you can have many hobbies you can have many hobbies i walk it back completely i I disavow my previous comments yeah i actually fun fact about uh isaac as i looked at played by wayne pigram uh who played grand moff tarkin in revenge of the sith 
in lieu of a uh, Peter Cushing's death. Oh wow! At the time, okay. so yeah, he's a he's a Grand Moff Tarkin at the time. But I mean, yeah, outside of the goats. This is a big scene as well. As I mentioned before, this is where Bernard really vocalizes his own thesis of, I can't do nothing. That's just me. I have to try. And Rose's I didn't ask for this is, I think, the only time in Lost that Rose ever raises her voice. And that says something, right? Like, this is an important thing for her. She was someone who never gets emotionally frazzled. She is someone that who is very very difficult to stir, assumingly just because of all the stuff that has happened in her life. But this is a moment where, like, she is truly exasperated. And it's such a key character moment that then gets punctuated by a goat in the background. <laughs> As an audio clip, uh, that was that was interesting. That was... <laughs> to hear the goats was, <laughs> was definitely wild. Uh... All right, so back on the island, <laughs> if I, I don't know, man, I don't know. No goats on this island, unfortunately. Uh, Bernard wants Sawyer to help. Sawyer, come on, if you can fix your shelter, you've got time to help me right. with my we, we do see him. We grab some fronds. He's putting it up post-fight with Hurley. Yeah, uh, and Sawyer is going to to skip out on the on the deal of helping him out with the SOS signal uh, by uh, telling him, he's, he says, I'm going to pass by saying... I say Pasadena. At certain points, uh, I feel like Sawyer needs, like, a dictionary that people need to carry around. Because, like, there are some times when it has to take you a couple seconds to, like, make the connection of, okay, I guess Pasadena in Sawyer means I pass. I will not elect to do your activity. Like, what does Dr. Giggles mean? He always has some sort of reference that's secondhandly connected to what he actually means. Yeah. Pasadena? I don't know. I'll Pasadena on that joke. I think uh, not, not your best work, James. Uh, Bernard's gonna get mad at Rose. It's like, oh, well, I hope you're happy that all of this is happening. Rose says, it's not my fault. You've got a management problem. She's absolutely correct. Yeah, uh, uh, sign crew is down from 15 to 4 at yeah, this point. Yeah, we've gone down, uh, still in the numbers, but, uh, she says, why can't you just let things be? And he says, if I didn't always have to do something, you wouldn't be here. Uh, is what Bernard says to her. Yeah, I mean, it's something that, again, these conversations, once you know, in retrospect, their story is, is shrouded in the past. This idea that, remember, you know, they, Rose tells Bernard, before, uh, from what they know up to this point, that Mystery Sock cured her. And so he feels like, okay, thank God I took her to that faith healer on that goat farm. Or, you know, she uh, would not be cancer-free right now. And so he is really sort of like holding that over her head. At this point, it's not done out of malice. I think he just feels sort of like Rose did in that clip, exasperated. He lost basically his entire workforce, and he feels like the idea is, is slipping out of his grasp. But much like Rose did before, he sort of is speaking out of turn. And this, these scenes on Island are also sort of have the same sort of ending where, like, somebody will say something uncouth, and then the, under, the other person will walk away, and then the other one will sort of, like, stare after them as, and say, you know, basically, I shouldn't have done that internally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Jack and Kate are on a walk. And Jack and are Kate are happen. on a date. Uh, Jack and Kate are on a date. Um, I don't know. Uh, you, you're going to figure out what's going on here if we listen to the thing. I'm flattered. Yeah, why is that? Because he chose me to go with you instead of Sawyer. I asked Saeed first, but he turned me down. And I only asked you because they don't want you. They grabbed you, had you at gunpoint. They could have kept you, but they didn't. Then again, they didn't really want me either. Dad. 
damaged goods. Both of us. Return of the Scary Ghost Dolls and debut of the phrase getting caught in a net. This is the this is where it comes from. Uh, do you, do you think the that the, was that one of the creepy dolls from the caves from the doll smuggler? Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. hundred percent. I mean, I don't know. Rousseau, I mean, I guess, are we to assume that this is Rousseau's net as they talk about after the break? Yeah, I think so. I think so. But I think, like, you know, she scavenges stuff that she finds on the island. And so probably, like, the creepy doll nets are new. Yeah, you know, I can see that. Like, that it's it's a new it's a new style of traps. The others know her sort of hallmarks, the trip wires, etc. And now she's getting into dolls. Pretty dumb thing for Kate to do to grab the doll, right? I don't know. I mean, she sees the doll. How do you know it's going to be connected to the trip wire thingy? I don't know necessarily. But Kate's, but Kate's like a tracker. Like she's, she seems like a very cautious person by nature when it comes to this type of stuff. I'm just very surprised that uh, she would just be like, "What's this doll doing here?" and not think about any repercussions though maybe she's trying to take her mind off the whole damaged goods comment that does not go over well with jack yeah i don't know uh i guess uh you see something you you examine it first rather than uh just like picking it up right yeah, away look with your eyes not with your hands yeah maybe should have been the move but either way they get caught in the net and then like the next scene when we come back from commercial break I love this scene so much. It's just like Jack and Kate are like in in insanely close physical proximity, mm-hmm. uh, like a, a completely unfathomable situation in this day and age as we were recording this podcast. Uh, and uh, they're like, "All right, we got to get out of the net." And so, like, they're like, they're like, faces are like, in, like not even like uh, centimeters apart, right? Like they are like almost making out uh, as she's like grabbing the gun from his butt. She grabs the gun from the butt. I know there, there's a there's a world, Josh, where Kate accidentally shoots Jack in the ass. <laughs> you shot my butt, Kate! Damn it! Damn it, Kate! No, my butt! <laughs> uh, yeah, she's, she's gonna help him with that, and she's gonna grab the gun. She's gonna try to shoot the bullets and try to shoot the rope because she grew up hunting. Didn't work out. Jack has the better angle anyway. Oh, that's what you're going to say. It's like, it's it's once again, like sort of like the golf stuff from earlier in the season, which I know yes. you didn't love, but I, I really do. Uh, and I really like it in this moment, too. I think it's really, really funny when they shoot the rope and they fall on top of each other. Like, the whole thing is just kind of kind of a lark and when, when you know that these are two people who ultimately do feel really powerfully for one another uh mostly because of like very intense circumstances it's nice to see them having a moment of levity even if it is under mm. some version of duress well and i think the jack case has been an interesting trajectory as of late right like we never have really had a big jack kate moment since uh, what Kate did when she kisses him. It's been very awkward from there on out. Even a couple of episodes ago in lockdown when they're sort of like off on their little mission together. 
there are some discussions, but this is an opportunity where they are really, it's almost like the locked in a room trope, right? Yeah. Where like they're almost forced in proximity of one another. And that tension that has been simmering is now at a full boil. There's a moment where like their lips nearly touch. Uh, so listen, if, uh, if Evangeline Lilly and Matthew Fox had not had chemistry to build out beforehand, now they had really no excuse but to build that out. But I think it is an interesting sort of stepping stone in the Jack-Kate relationship. And I do think it at least bridges things a bit from maybe people, Jack would think there's no coming back from that very awkward kiss and what Kate did. But like, this is a way to sort of get back to before, before things then get torn asunder in the beginning of season three with the polar bear cages of it all. Uh, the, the whole SOS plan is being torn asunder. Bernard is really basically only working with Jin now. Uh, Jin is screwing things up. He doesn't, uh, he's not picking up the fact that Bernard needs three rows, three rows of rocks. Uh, would there, would that we had three different rows Nadlers would be an incredible thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, Jin is, is sort of being exasperated at this point. Clearly there's a communication breakdown. Bernard does have an interesting moment. I just want to get my wife home. I feel like it's an, uh, incidental call forward to season four during G on when, uh, Bernard and Jin will sort of have that other moment where they're commiserate both of being the, the only people who have wives, on the island and like this is another moment where i think bernard is sort of reaching out to Jin of like you feel my situation here like sympathize with me a little bit but i think this is even too much for Jin to a certain extent he decides yeah, he to abandon away. a project yeah he's done he's out on this uh meanwhile rose is going to be sitting with somebody who she has something in common with which uh the viewer on first watch does not know quite yet it's going to be rose and Locke. uh this is a really really great scene let's listen in you're in my spot. I can move. Can you? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I guess your sense of humor got trapped under that door with your leg. I saw your husband walking through the jungle, hauling rocks. He's building a big sign in the sand so the satellites will see it. That man doesn't know the difference between an errand and a fool's errand. Well, Rose, most of us don't. So what are you doing down here, John? Can't remember the last time I saw you out of that hatch. I'm done with the hatch. Oh, now you're just frustrated. You'll be out of that splint and running around the island again in no time. And yet Jack said it'd be at least four weeks. But honey, you and I both know it's not going to take that long. Oh, this is such I a fun that. scene. I yeah, love that. Because they have bit- this moment that like they... I don't know if Locke remembers it, but then like he probably puts puts it in the perspective like, oh, that's right, Rose. Oh, you dropped your medicine, and I picked it up for you while I was in the wheelchair. So they like both mutually know, or at least uh, Rose knows that this is a place that heals you. Uh, she feels mm-hmm. it in in her own body, and it's verified by what she has observed of John Locke. Yeah, it's a really interesting connector for both of them, uh, both on island and off island. Because on island, I think these are the two that have the most faith in the powers of the island. 
considering what it did to them. I think that there are still people that sort of vary in the man of science versus man of faith, but they both sort of see eye to eye and like, I know what the island does and it's magical, but I'm not going to question it necessarily. But then off island, you know, Locke obviously probably did not get a feeling that Rose had cancer, but these are two people who were sick off island, who were sort of doomed to lives that they would not have wanted to lead and the island gave them a second chance, as, as Locke has said in season one, the tabula rasa of it all, a clean slate. And so I do think it's a really cool connected moment between these two characters to the point where kind of wish we had more moments between these two characters. From what I remember, this is the first and maybe only major interaction between Locke and Rose. We're going to get some stuff with Flock in the end when Flock demands Desmond from her and Bernard. But I just think it's a, again, if Rose and Bernard are sort of a boiled down Jack and Locke, in terms of the conflict of it all. I, I think that's a really cool scene where the two of them see eye to eye, even if Locke doesn't necessarily know what Rose knows. One one interaction of theirs that I remember is at the top of season four, when everyone's taken aside of whether you're going with Jack or you're going with Locke. I think Rose has the line of like, I'm not going anywhere with that man. Uh, like I think after what he does to Naomi... Yeah. Right, because Bernard's going to tell Jin in that aforementioned scene, like, John Locke is a murderer. Like, we're not going to go with him. Exactly, exactly. Um, All right, so uh, Rose, in the past, she's she's hanging out with Isaac. Lots of crutches hanging from the walls. uh, And this is where Isaac says something that is, again, very telling of where Lost is going. There are certain places with great energy, spots on the Earth, like the one we're above now. Perhaps the energy is geological, electromagnetic, or perhaps even something else. When possible, I harness this energy and I give it to others. He's not able to to heal her, uh, but he says there may be another place uh, where you could be healed. And Rose is going to say, well, don't tell Bernard that I'm going to tell him that you fixed me. So that's the scene. I think the thing I'd like to drill down into is probably what the Dharma Initiative would have liked to have drilled down into as well, which is this idea of pockets of energy yeah. uh, across across the world. Do we think that like, the island is just like the one that is most in tune with that energy. And there's all these other places in the world of Lost, which is, you know, a mirror of ours where this energy exists. Is that sort of the thesis? That's what I am personally subscribing to, that maybe this is just a pocket of energy that Dharma had found and invested their time in. Like, maybe there were other incidents that happened in Uluru, for for instance, but just either they went unreported or they were not, like, as high of a prominence. But I mean, from that perspective, think Tunisia, right? Like if you're going to yeah, get exactly. coughed where they, up where into they, where Tunisia, where they wind up when they turn the wheel, exactly. And who knows? Maybe it had lost, expanded more. There could have been stuff in like other parts of the world that would have explained this. And from that perspective, I know that back during Raised by Another, when the Richard Malkin of it all came up, there were questions as to like, okay, is he a fraud or is he not? I personally believe that Isaac of Aluru is not a fraud. Uh, a because I, I guess the remnants of the crutches and the wheelchairs if not products he's selling means that his stuff does work but also due to the fact that lost is going to make canon this idea of like pockets of energy that he might indeed be benefiting just from the location of it but i guess we we have to bring up this question much like i did with richard mulligan josh could isaac of aluru be an aoj an aoj here so here here were some thoughts that i had about uh isaac of aluru uh in this episode based on this scene is one, I think when he says, I can't help you, there's nothing I can do for you. And he's going to give the money back. 
um, suggests to me that, yeah, I agree that he's not a fraud. And I think that even like Rose is seeing Bernard with the little girl who can, who can walk now. She's got the crutches and stuff. Uh, and I think that she is recognizing that uh, there are people who are getting meaningful benefits from this work, whether it's like exactly what they want or it's something else. Uh, mm-hmm. She seems to be touched by the way that Bernard is interacting with, with the girl. Um, so I, I think that she doesn't think Isaac of Aluru is like a super bad person, even if, he's, <laughs> if there's some cultural appropriation stuff right. that's going on here um i i think so like in some of like the like the head cannony type stuff because that's fun to do here right we Mm -hmm. like doing that um could it be that isaac when he is telling her i can't heal you and this is not the right place for you but there are other places with different energies and there may be a place for you does he know that she is going to that place does he have some sort of vision that she is going to that place and if so does that mean that Richard Malkin, who is fraudulent most of the time, is it possible that he knows about Claire because he had visited Isaac of Aluru for some reason and gleaned some of that actual like foresight ability that perhaps is mm. divined from this spot, from this pocket of energy? And he brought it back and uh, like a day after that trip, he met with Claire and then he was able to see something. He was as surprised by it as anybody. Yeah, I mean, so Isaac is not as adamant as Malkin, right? Of like, you need to get on this specific plane. Well, because he but, knows she's going to be on it anyway. So exactly, just like, but let but it I happen. Think, but I think those words are still pretty ominous, right? Of like, there might be another place for you. I'm trying to remember: is Nadler a candidate name? Uh, let me uh, you filibuster while I look. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I'll, I, I, I mean, I, I could see some sort of like corroboration between the two, right? Like. There is this weird connection of, of Australian mystical men uh, that these two people happen to give very foreshadowy remarks to characters who end up being a seminal part of Lost itself. So I don't know if there's exactly a uh, a conspiracy going on between these two. I think it would be funny if Malkin's trying to graft uh, onto, you know, sort of drift behind the wind that Isaac of Aluru is actually producing. Though I don't know if Isaac's, again, doing anything. I think Isaac is more so just a conduit of this piece of land that he happens to be on. And from that capacity, are the goats, like, super-powered goats? <laughs> <laughs> are these yeah. the most super-powered goats ever? Well, I think that these goats are uh, definitely tied into the cloning facility that creates all the bopos. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that we can <laughs> we can assume that that's the case. Uh, all right, Research has has yielded this. There is no Nadler uh, on any of the lists of candidates, but there is a Henderson. Which is Rose's maiden name. Which is Rose's maiden name. Uh, number 335. So people uh, think that that probably corresponds to Rose. Uh, but maybe even Jacob was like, yeah, Bernard's management skills are dog shit. Yeah. That dude's not a candidate. Uh, he tries too hard. Well, that's the he thing is that like <laughs> Rose sort of has this like hurly like quality at a certain point of like she would actually have made a very good leader because she's someone who's like very confident in her skills but also very faithful in yeah. the powers that be as opposed to someone like Bernard who's like no there has to be an answer I'm going to pursue it right uh, all right so back on the island in the pouring rain uh, Jack and uh, and Kate free from the net they get into a little bit of a, of a of I don't know what the opposite of a net is if it, if if a getting caught in a net implies lovemaking uh, this is a little bit of a of a of a scuffle between Jack and Kate as they get into an argument where she reveals what she found in in the in the staff station and the fake beard of it all. Jack's like, when were you going to tell me? I love fake beards. And and she's like, well, you 
had a guy locked in the hatch for a week. You didn't even tell me. Uh, and that's, uh, that's again, I, I do not feel this is a good episode for Kate because that is not a one-to-one comparison from my perspective. Like, one of them is a piece of information that is, like, vital to the leader of the group. The other one is just, like, something that he's taking care of that she wanted to be brought in on. Like, when she, when she specifically says... Oh, I wanted to tell you when you decided to let me back into your club. Like that is one hundred percent pettiness. I don't know. I, I, I mean, yeah, it's petty, but I think that it's also, uh, to a certain degree, like Kate is part of that crew, and for like really like no good reason, Jack has decided to like exile her from the crew. Uh, so I mean, ma- no good reason also translates to, hey, I kissed you in the middle of the jungle and then ran away and have been, been very awkward to you ever yeah, since. Yeah, but Jack hasn't made that any less awkward. If anything, he's been the one who's made it super awkward. He's made it supremely awkward. Uh, so I think Jack is at least as much at fault, if not more so, at fault in the awkwardness that exists between them. Like, he wouldn't let her come on the on the trip, even though she's a tracker. Uh, and then, like, he, like, victim-blamed her for getting taken hostage when he really probably should have just let her come and, like, uh, maybe had, like, himself stay behind because he's useless on a hunt you know like all of that um although jack shows here once again like his his ridiculous memory yeah um, when they reach the spot where he knows that this is the place where they went to the line that you're not supposed to cross he's there in daytime too and he like recognizes every single detail which is place. crazy because i didn't even recognize the spot in the daytime you know because it was so shrouded in darkness listen quite jack literally, has a beautiful mind right yeah like, quite literally is... the first time when i watched this episode during a power outage or listened to it i was shrouded <laughs> right. in darkness that's right. So I didn't know what the line looked like. Good on Jack for spotting in the daylight. Like he has that recollection, as we heard in the intro clip, and he's just gonna straight up start hollering for yeah. the others. No, that's that's their line, uh, and he knows it. So uh, it's the clip we hear at the top of this podcast. I got your man. We got your man. Uh, come on out. Come on out. Uh, I know you can hear me. Uh, yeah, so- I mean, I mean, this is him. Like, he was frightened during the end of the hunting party, even though Locke was the one to really, like, walk him back. But it's clear at this point, Jack does not give an F. And especially because he feels like he has ammunition now, in a manner of speaking, with Ben in his custody. That he's like, okay, now I can stand up to these guys. Again, he doesn't necessarily know how much he's being watched and how much he's playing into Ben's machinations. But it's interesting to sort of watch Jack's rejuvenation at this point of like, great, I'm going to go to this line and I'm going to say, screw off, you guys. We've got something that we can make a trade with. So you guys are not keeping us subjugated anymore. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's good stuff. It's, you know, it's soaking rain, pouring rain, and he's just uh, he's just letting it all out. Uh, meanwhile, Rose is going to go to Bernard. Uh, everybody, let's all calm down here. You know, let's cut, let's get, let's everybody feel better about this. Rose is coming to apologize. Bernard says, this is my fault. I'm a bad manager. She says, I'm not apologizing about this stuff. I'm apologizing because I lied to you about Isaac of Aluru. He didn't heal me. And Bernard's like, of course, of course he did. Mm -hmm. Of course he healed you. And she's like, no, he didn't. But that doesn't mean I haven't been healed. And Rose is going to tell Bernard exactly what is going down? Where is everybody? I owe you an apology. You don't have anything to be sorry for. It's my own damn fault I'm out here by myself. That's not why I'm apologizing. I lied to you. 
Back in Australia, Isaac, he didn't heal me. He didn't do anything. Of course he did. You're, you're... Bernard, he didn't heal me. But that doesn't mean I'm not healed. When you're sick and you have got something inside you that doesn't belong there, you can feel it. And after the crash, I couldn't feel it anymore. At first I thought it was just shock. But it wasn't. It's this place. Wait, but you said Isaac fixed you. I told you that so that you wouldn't spend what time we had left trying to do something. Uh, Rose, you could just be in remission. How do you know it wasn't Isaac who healed you? How do you know that he didn't heal you? I know. Trust me. I know. You don't want to be rescued, do you? I think if you leave, it'll come back. And if you can't leave, neither can I. He won't ever leave us. I would, uh, I would offer to take down the sign, but, uh, we didn't get very far. <laughs> Thanks, gawkers. <laughs> you idiots. Uh, I, did, I didn't notice this until I looked on Lostpedia. Actually, if you look at the wide shot after Bernard says that, there are two piles of rocks and, like, a little serif on the S that looks like a frowny face upside down. Oh, I like that. I like that. Uh, hadn't hadn't noticed that. Um, yeah, it's like the, is it like the opposite of the uh, the uh, the 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 Henry Gale balloon? No, it's it's like or or the uh, the same face that's on the computer, the angry face, right, yeah. with the prompt. So oh, maybe the, that's true. The faces are everywhere. What a freaking good scene! Oh, it's a great scene. It's a great in so, scene in so many ways. In so many ways. First, and obviously, there's like the lock piece that that's not in the clip. Um, but you know, in in the middle of all of that, we go and we flash back, and Locke is in the wheelchair, and Rose yeah, which is I there. think is monumental because let's remember. Locke is going to very rarely talk about his condition off-island to anybody on the mm, island. Yeah. He told Boone and Deus Ex Machina to convince him to pursue his mission. Rose knew, and he's going to tell, I think, Sawyer in the brig, and I think that's it. Uh, so that piece of information is like a very tightly held secret until John Locke breathes his last breath. And for no- Rose to know that is a pretty big deal. And we also sort of get like a weird, not a confirmation, but Bernard sort of reasons out loud uh, that, like, if the island heals you in a certain way and you leave the island, that that healing powers will then wane. 
and therefore go away. But and we also get like the very rare uh, voiceover into flashback. I feel like we haven't gotten that in a very very. It's been long a minute. Time. It feels like it's been a minute. Um, but no, I I think that this is just reinforcing a lot of what we're talking about and and why I I really love this episode on a rewatch. And I think yeah. it, it doesn't uh, a like where we are right now and and b um, where we are right now in that like you and I just very recently rewatched the final episode of the whole show like mm-hmm. independently of all of this. Um, and I feel like this episode is like really resonant and works really well. Well, within all of what Lost is very clearly in its final episode and in the, in the summation of it all is trying to articulate. And I think that they articulate it really, really, really like neatly and sweetly here in, in SOS. So it just gets a big fat yes, oh, yes from me. And I, and I love this scene. It's really, really cute. And that like pan out of the SOS sign um, with Otis Redding's These Arms of Mine playing in the background. It, it leads us into a great montage uh, yeah and this is another minute, one that we, yeah. that we haven't seen in a long time and this is you know this is also very emblematic of the episode which this is an episode that really is about relationships uh the f- ones at the forefront really being rose and bernard and jack and kate but we sort of uh get one here right where we have charlie and echo working on the church we have Jin, uh you know looking over son and his unborn child we have claire taking care of aaron hurley's doing shadow puppets with libby Sawyer is giving some food to Vincent. Maybe that last one is sort of discounted there, but this was an episode that was really focused around, you know, these pairings of people, whether old or new, and, like, how they come together and come apart. I also will say, going back to the clip, that I thought it was a beautifully quick character turn from Bernard. I don't know if any characters other than Bernard would do an immediate, like, well, if that's how you feel, then we're going to stay here Yeah, forever. forever. Like, forever. it's, a, it's a, a really cool character moment from Bernard that, again, shows how the one guiding compass point in his life right now is Rose. She's, for lack of a better term, his compass Rose. Uh, and, and so I think no matter what decision he's going to make, if it means flying to Australia and spending $10,000, if it means living on an island for the rest of your life, as long as he does it with her, he's going to do whatever it takes. And anything. And he's already thinking about, all right, so I guess I... I guess I'm going to work on the pantry. Yeah. Maybe eventually. All right. Eventually I'll, get, I'll, I'll, I'll get your system down at a certain point, Rose, in the hundreds of years we'll be living. Or that'll something. be a good uh, good practice for building a house, which I'll have to do eventually as well here on the island. Uh, he's already thinking about, like, I guess, like, the upside is I get to have a really cool beard. That'll be fun. That'll be nice. Uh, so, yeah. No, it's just sweet. It's very, very, very sweet. And it's just, like... It hit me in all the right feels. Like this, yeah. this episode this week, like hit me in a Trisha Tanaka way, which is you know. Very I was, was going to say this. This is a very Trisha Tanaka episode yes. where I think it's it's very indicative on the way you view Lost. Yes, can that certainly change the way you view this episode? Totally. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it's not the end of the episode. There's the montage and everything, and then uh, Jack and Kate out in the jungle. They're about to make out for sure, right? Where she says, "I'm yeah, sorry, I kissed you," and he's like, "I'm not." They def- totally def- definitely lean in before yeah. the rustling happens in the bushes. Yeah. yeah. Well, the bushes actually just become Michael. Um, Michael is produced from a plant, uh, and sadly, he is a plant. Right? He's a plant from the mm-hmm. from the others, and we're we're. We're about to kick that whole thing off. Uh, luckily, we we still have some more SOS and some other business to talk about in the other section. But we're in we're on the other side of the hill now. We're in the you know full sprint down to the finish line of season two at this point. 
I'm trying to remember, is Michael, like, playing up his weakness, or did the others, like, really deprive him that much when he was in their, their camp? Yeah, that... he, he's he's locked to a pole for, I think, something like nine days. I might Something have, like that, yeah. Yeah, I think I have the numbers. Bef- not before he, before totally... he gets the eponymous three minutes with Walt. Yeah, and then after that, they cut him loose, and, you know, he's running God knows how long and how far and what's on his mind as he's panically trying to think of, like, how am I going to get this done? What am I going to have to do? He's probably not eaten or drank much in a long time. So I think it's genuine exhaustion uh, when he uh, when he uh, flies out of the jungle and falls in front of Jack and Kate. But there's a big moment at the time and obviously far from being the biggest Michael moment of the rest of uh, his time yeah, or even of the next two episodes. Um, let's go into the others. Uh, some more behind the scenes stuff. We've already touched on a lot of the stuff from the others already, but we'll, we'll touch on a few more. Um, once again, the great uh, The Hatch, a lost podcast with Sammy Roth and Rosie Murphy. Uh, they did an interview with Gene Higgins about uh, the snow scene in this episode. Yeah, I would say like first and one of the only times we see snow. We're actually not, this is not going to be the last time we see snow in season two, considering the final scene of Live Together, Die Alone, but a very, very rare quality given where they film. Uh, So this is how Gene Higgins described creating the scene. Uh, There was the day that they called up and said, okay, we're going to do Buffalo. Okay, so it's Buffalo in the winter and the car is stuck in the snow. Uh, and Gene Higgins said, oh, great, I got to make snow in Hawaii. And I went, oh, my God, because the effects guy there could do a lot of stuff, but snow just wasn't one of them. So I sat there and thought and went, well, there's a lot of food that goes back and forth from the islands, and they've got to blow ice into the holds of those ships somewhere, so find me the company that makes ice. The dump trucks cost more than the ice. I brought in ice and dumped it on the street in Chinatown and had a block of ice, and then we put snow blankets in the background where they'd be out of focus, and we shot really fast because it melted really fast we made the front of the honolulu star for that one because rarely has honolulu had snow wow so i mean rose really could have just waited not until july but like five minutes and she would have been able to drive out of there pretty amazing pretty 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 good uh question for us from stefan johnson uh do you think that rose and bernard after the show ends do they go on to help hurley and ben with the island they do have the rule mike Let's not get involved. That's right. the one rule. But with the man in black dead, does that mean that the rule is out the window? Yeah, especially like, if like Hurley comes up. Dudes, they're, it's dead. Dudes, like, we got him. Rose, like, remember when you helped me with my diet? Like, be my Jenkins here, you know? Bernard, it looks like we need some dentists, man. Like, dude. <laughs> Come yeah, do you think that all, when they hire Walt and like all these people, they staff the island again? Like, is Bernard the on island dentist? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You get dental care in the form of Bernard. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, yeah, I like to think that Rose and Bernard have a have a role to play in Hurley and Ben's uh, you know reign on the island. I would think so. I mean, listen, you got to like uh, promote inwardly, right? And they yeah. they know them pretty well. I think it's even though Rose is probably still a bit perturbed by the Ben of it all. I think she trusts Hurley enough. I think if Hurley judgment. showed up and was like, "Look, I'm the new man in charge. I need help." She'd be like, "All right, fine. You're Hurley." At this point, they've seen so much that they're uh, like, "Sure, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Sure, we'll go with it." Yeah. Dude, we killed the man in black. It's fine. Um, Dallin Service says, do you look at Rose and Bernard's relationship differently now knowing they've only been married less than a year? If anything, it sort of confirms this idea that law sort of confirms on its own with this idea of like soulmates, right? That even though these two only met each other about a month ago, that they've sort of known each other their entire lives, that they've been searching for each other. If you believe in previous lives, they could even have met each other in a previous life and they saw each other in another life, brother. So it doesn't really change my view of them they still are sort of an otp in that variety despite the scuffles that they may have it just shows how 
sure they were that they were the ones for each other after such a short amount of time only confirms you know that that gut feeling from both of their parts uh ben martell uh we never see saeed in the episode even in the montage at the end but we hear that he declined to go on a mission from jack so why did he turn him down here's my question was that a joke from jack yeah maybe probably just a just a just a laugh right it could be either a laugh or it could be viewed as Jack is still shady towards Kate because of what happened. So he really is digging in the knife at being like, well, don't get too comfy because you were second choice. I think Saeed's been working really hard. Give Saeed a day off. I don't need, I don't need an next And also considering well, how Saeed, what Saeed just did to Ben, I think it's a bad choice bringing him because yeah. Jack's going to come out and Saeed's just going to go bang, 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 bang. Yeah. Uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick asks us, which is the hotter scene, Jack and Kate in the net or Sawyer and Kate in the bear cage? I guess it's like, do you prefer the actual action occurring or just the thought of it? You know, because Sawyer and Kate, it actually goes there. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love Jack and Kate and Annette. And I think Sawyer, that does not also not involve the rain, which I believe was heavily involved in the bear cage as well. Um, I don't remember if it is during that moment. Um, there's certainly rain at the bear cages, but I don't remember if it's involved in the when they do it. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just thinking of Sawyer going to have sex in the shower before or after he brushes his teeth in the long con. Yeah. Uh, some questions about last week. I'm surprised that there are questions about last week. Yeah, I know. Week. Really, uh, you, you patched up any possible holes from your big theory last week about uh, Libby. Uh, so the poll results are in, uh, first of all, 58.5% are in on time traveling, Dave marrying Libby. But uh, the dictation process was uh, a little clunky. We had yeah, to redo the poll. Yeah, I believe initially it was, what was it? Uh, time it traveling time, Dave. Time traveling Dave. <laughs> comma marrying libby like dave uh, no dave's not the time traveler here uh i mean if so he could definitely be one of those assholes with time machines right it's possible i'll i'll take the blame for this one um bram kane came up with a uh with a discovered a, a stunning but long or created a, a stunning but long libby time travel script uh and ben martell distilled it down uh it involves libby arriving on the island with her very much alive husband david not dave in 2010 David is shot and killed by mysterious people in an outrigger. Libby, along with David's body, becomes unstuck in time, trying to leave the island, leaving David on the island early. And Libby's so sick, once she finally escapes, that she ends up in Santa Rosa. But Hurley was Libby's constant, and so she recovers after finding him in Santa Rosa. I was doing some thinking, and I realized there's still one more question we need to answer in this grand unifying theory. Uh, so how, what is she doing in Australia? Is she just, cause she obviously knows from this perspective that she has to be on that plane. Is she just right. tailing Hurley? Is she doing anything special in Australia? Probably just tailing him. I mean, true to her, to her nature, I think just that like would make sense. Wa- watching from a distance, a gawker in her own right. Unless maybe Dave's family is Australian and she's sort of like stopping in to see them or something, knowing that yeah. the timing could work out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that could be it. I think that could be it. Uh, look, I'm on. I'm. I'm on board. Time traveler Libby. Oh, from. wait a minute. Unless. Unless. What if Libby <laughs> goes to Isaac of Aluru <laughs> and tells him, oh, no. like, "Hey, just so you know, uh, there's gonna be a woman who visits you named Rose Nadler. Uh, you need to tell her to get on that." What if Libby's the one who gives dispatches the instructions to Malkin and Isaac? Could be. That could be it. Could I be. Think, I think it's possible. Yeah, we keep saying agent of Jacob. What if she's just agent of Hurley? Agent of herself. Yeah, really. She has her own agency. Yeah, she has her own agency for sure. Uh, Anything from the music analysis from Jim Fells? 
So obviously this introduces a Rose and Bernard theme that is going to reverberate throughout the rest of Lost. It's going to pop up during that scene I mentioned before when Bernard talks with Jin. It's going to happen during the incident when we when we see, you know, Rose and Bernard sort of uh, settling in in the jungle. It plays in the end when they're in their little bungalow. And in that scene that we played before when uh, Locke was talking with Rose, I don't know if you noticed, but a bit of the walkabout theme. I did, yes. When they, when they were talking about how his legs will heal, which is obviously a callback. Also, Jim Fells very cheekily starts off his video by playing the theme from Up uh, and playing a Rose and Bernard scene. Oh, which, yeah, it's, it's simultaneously cry. like joy-filling and heart-wrenching. Yeah, uh, as that movie is. Let's go to the 23 points MVP LVP section. I've got three MVPs. You've got two. You've got three LVPs. I've got two uh, I think it, this is an easy one for me. Is I'm giving a point to Bernard. I'm also going to give a point to Rose. They're both incredible this week. Uh, this is their episode. They're lovely. Uh, you know, maybe you could you could knock Bernard a point for management skills if you and, wish. And I will. Okay, spoiler alert. You will. <laughs> so, uh, so spoiler alert. Bernard will be a wash this week. He'll end up okay. with a zero. Okay, but I I think that they're both they're. Just it, their love story is just so great. So if oh, I've got the opportunity to give them an MVP uh, each, I will do so. Completely agree. Like if we could give extra credit, I would to Sam Anderson and L. Scott Caldwell. Especially, I'll, I'm going to give an extra point Rose's way, not just because uh, she's the one who ultimately does convince Bernard to stay and ultimately ends up being in the right, but just all my admiration in the world to L. Scott Caldwell in particular to have to essentially go through what must be a very emotionally hefty experience in your life again. So soon after the fact, that takes so much bravery. And I, I really do admire her for that. Uh, so I'm going to give her another point as well. I'm going to give a point to Jack as I'm well. I'm giving to, a point to Jack too. Yeah, yeah, to sort of co-op what we said before. I think Jack is right on the money with his strategy. I think, you know, he was right with Kate when it comes to don't grab the creepy doll. He ends up shooting the rope when Kate cannot. So I think this is a good episode for Jack. Yeah, I get, I give, I, I echo all of that with Jack. Great episode for Jack. Uh, so Bernard gets a point from me. Rose a point from me. Jack a point from me. Jack a point from you. Rose a point from you. Bernard's losing a point from from Mike. Uh, spoiler alert, as he said. Uh, so my, uh, so Bernard, you're giving your son an LVP point. He's he needs to learn his lesson. <laughs> oh, poor poor uh, poor future Asher. Uh, so that's your first LVP. I'll just give you both of mine. Gawkers, peace out. You guys sucked this week. Yeah, come on, Neil Jenkins. Double double, double thumbs down. Yeah, Neil Jenkins, Craig, Richard, Ralph. <laughs> get All to work, you. you. Get to work, you Gawkers. What else do you have going on? Work on the SOS sign. This is ridiculous. Yeah, you get some nice fire tokens out of it when you move all the stones. Uh, and I, you're probably going to disagree with this. I'm going to give two LVP points to Kate here. I think that's severe, but you do you. Boo-boo. Yeah, I think this is just not a. Gr- I mean, also it's tough to give out LVP. But I was thinking about giving one to Locke, but like his purpose is renewed by the end here. I think had they not had that Rose and Locke scene with him redrawing the map, uh, maybe I would give him an LVP point for re- Ben really getting under his skin. But I just think. Between grabbing the doll, not being able to shoot the rope, deciding to tell Jack now about the staff, and then blaming him for not telling her about Henry Gale. It's just not a good look for Kate, in my opinion. Yeah, so the double tap to Kate from Mike Bloom. Um, So that leaves us in the season two rankings. Mr. Echo is still in the front. Uh, It's stalemate. Uh, The top three has not changed, other than the fact that Jack 
is part of that top uh, three now, uh, which I guess is technically a top four. Echo with 12, Saeed with 10, Ana Lucia and Jack are tied with six, which I believe is where Kate originally was, or Kate was closing in on it. Yeah, Kate was closing in on it, but a spoiler alert for the overall rankings, I believe due to the plus two from Jack and minus two from Kate, I believe they actually swapped positions in the overall rankings in terms oh, wow. of point numbers. Uh, okay, so yeah, they, so, they're sw- they yeah. nearly swap spit and they swap positions here. Uh, Rose gets a couple points. Obviously, Bernard, unfortunately, stalemates. And uh, in the overall rankings, the Gawkers is now at an astounding negative five tied with Randy Nations and Wayne. Yeah, deservedly so. I think the Gawkers uh, may ultimately be the the LVP of Lost, I think, is a very likely yeah, outcome. Because it's, it's, it, it, I, it, it, I don't see them gaining points, and we're going to have to dock them points like in the shape of things to come when the gawkers get killed mercilessly yeah uh, and we only, and we like, only have yeah. what two more episodes three more episodes of anthony cooper tops because he's the one yes, that's holding two. down the fort right now at negative eight well two two more where he is alive uh and then uh when he is a, a sideways universe purgatorial mm-hmm. creature so yeah so know. so there's, there's there's a stoppage point where as, as you mentioned like the Gawkers, are, and you could say, like, there might be Dharma brand Gawkers, there might be, like, Alana Crew-esque Gawkers. The concept of Gawkers uh, really transcends the island, I believe, so I think it would make sense if, I don't know if we are manifesting this outcome, but that if the LVP of Lost in general are the people in the background just standing around and doing nothing, that would make a lot of sense. So let's get into the 4.2 stars. Uh, I give a score from 0 to 4.2. So does Mike. So does the audience. We average the audience score with mine and Mike's scores for the final down the hatch score. And I went on a little bit of a journey with SOS because I I just I loved the episode on this viewing in a way that I never had before. Um, that was such a nice, delightful surprise. So I I felt pretty quickly it was going to get a similar bump in the way that like Homecoming hit me in a way that I really needed Homecoming to hit me at that time when I was watching it. So I knew it was going to get like a, a very very biased bump. Um, so I tried to start with like. Well, where would I like fairly rank it? I looked back at like a lot of my old season one scores of like some like first run episodes of flashback episodes for people. And, like I have like a lot of three point sixes and three point fives in that mm-hmm. realm, and I think SOS like even without the bias would hit there for me. Uh, right. I th- I think that th- like the B plot, even the C plot in this episode, they're great. They're great, great stuff. Uh, the flashback is very revealing and sweet of the character. It's great acting. It's very moving. It actually is mythological. Uh, you know, it advances the island mythology in in uh, in some ways that maybe you forget. Um, so it's definitely at least at a, at a baseline around that three point five, three point six area for me. The bias bumps it up uh, because I tried to match it against other episodes from this from this watch of like. Uh, where where I've ranked them, and I was looking at the hunting party in the other 48 days specifically, which I gave mm-hmm. 3.9s to each of them. I enjoyed my experience watching SOS more than I enjoyed the experiences of watching those. Not to say that I didn't enjoy watching those. Yeah, luckily this just had a good montage, unlike the one at the end of the other 48 days. You know, this just made me very happy to watch Lost this week, so... I'm a crazy person. You know me. I love Trisha Tanaka is Dead is one of my all-time favorite episodes of Lost, and that's a perfect 4.2 for me. I'm not going to give a 4.2 to SOS, but I'm going to give it a 4. I'm giving, SOS, right. I'm giving SOS a 4. It's my podcast. At me if you need to. Um, don't do it, but you can <laughs> if you'd like to. 
But uh, SOS hit me exactly the way that I, that I needed it to. And so it gets that in-the-moment bump up. Uh, I think my more honest score would be closer to a 3.6. But I'm, I'm bumping it up to a, uh, a nice 4 because I liked it uh, as much as I did this time. And plus, that's the number of people left on Bernard's little expedition and before everyone leaves him. And you mentioned 3.6. That, that's what I'm going to give it. Because uh, I do agree that, like... Surprisingly, so I think going into this episode, I was like, okay, this will probably be like a low three, maybe high two. Because again, this is an episode that I really did not give that much consideration to in how it ran in its first couple of watches. But I was so impressed by the character work from, from Rose and Bernard in particular, how that matches up to overall themes that are pervading Lost in general. So yeah, I was definitely looking at like, uh, the closest I think comparison I found was ooh and found of like, this is an episode that really hones in on a character relationship and it was less about big moments happening on the island. But I want to buff it up a couple points because again, I cannot say it enough. Sam Anderson and L. Scott called They're so good. They killed it in every sense of the word in this episode. So I bumped it up a little bit to a a 3.6 so we have that. The audience averaged about a 3.3. They've mostly been averaging like late twos and uh, or and or late twos, like it's a year or something. <laughs> High twos into like low to mid three, sort of like what we were talking about before. So that's going to result in a 3.3 average, which surprisingly, Josh, puts SOS in the top half of episodes so far. That's crazy. Uh, of all episodes? No, of the, of the just season, of season two, two Of season two. It comes in at number eight, right below uh, two episodes that you just mentioned, the other 48 days and right above the hunting party. Yeah, uh, I think that that's probably high uh, in reality, but screw it, man. Uh, you know, I, th- I think that one of the things that a rewatch of Lost every time, and, and so th- the fact that it's reflected here um, is both, it- it's like an unsurprising surprise. Or it's like a surprising like uh, proof of concept that I think it's like the character heavy stuff that really uh, really pops for me. Um, so SOS, yeah, SOS is eighth overall in season two out of nineteen season two episodes, and another so lost number. Yeah, I don't think it'll stay here. I think uh, I think it's probably with uh, with two for the road coming up, with question mark coming up, and with live together die alone coming up. I think SOS is going to leave the top ten. Uh, but I think it'll probably be close to the top 10, ultimately, when we uh, have the final accounting of the yeah. season. Which is a surprise, considering that, again, you know, a lot of people pair this and Dave in terms of momentum. And Dave is, what, like the fourth, our fourth least favorite episode of season two, and this is now eighth place. So it just shows I, how maybe, uh, you know, lumping things together in our brain is not necessarily a great thing to do. But that's the, the great thing about a rewatch, too, is that, like, we really get to tear these episodes apart two hours at a time. Uh, to really take a look at them and how maybe our expectations are either subverted or completely, you know, underwhelmed. And in this case, it was the former. I think the only two episodes that I think are like maybe controversial that SOS is above for me are the hunting party and maternity leave right now. Mm. Um, well, listen, SOS did not have screeching noises <laughs> going into the Rose and Bernard flashback. So I do not give it that much grief. But yeah, I, I was thinking about giving it a 3.5, but there's something about the hunting party flashbacks that while I enjoyed, I just enjoyed the flashbacks yeah, of, of SOS course. so damn much. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agreed. All right. Two for the road coming up Holy next moly. week. This was, this was one of those moments where, like, this is one of those lost moments that I became obsessed with. I watched the YouTube videos of it over and over and over again. Oh, this yeah. Because I was just so stunned that, yes, these were two characters that were introduced in season two, but the way 
they did away with it. I just think it's a fantastic farewell episode for Anna Lucia on so many levels. Like, she gets the guns back, she courts Christian Shepard, and she ends up dying as a result. It really is like a tour de force for Michelle Rodriguez. I had surprisingly high remarks for Collision, so I'll be intrigued to see, you know, does it supersede that even for Two for the Road? Yeah, we've loved Anna Lucia on this rewatch. Uh, so this is her, her going out party coming up uh, coming up here on, on Down the Hatch. So I am both excited for it because it's an iconic episode, but also sad because I thought that she has been a, a really nice surprise on the rewatch. Uh, so get your feedback in. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. We'll get to it on the podcast next week, uh, Two for the Road, uh, aiming to drop that at the normal time, June 12th. Um, you can also tweet at us at postshowrecaps, at Round Howard, at A Mike Bloom. Type uh, over on Rob has a podcast, Mike. I know that we are we are traveling through time, much as uh, mm-hmm. you do on the Lost Island. There's a the initiative over at RHAP right now is uh, going through various Survivor episodes from different points in history as we are in uh, an uncertain length of timed off season. We don't know what the hell is going on. So we're just hopping all over time. Uh, a wiggle in time is what I call it on the wiggle room. I don't know what you're calling it on the B&B. I don't know, but he can still call it a wiggle through time because we're wiggling in our (laughs) seats. Uh, Yeah, so yeah, yeah, we just did the Borneo premiere uh, last Sunday. It was the 20-year anniversary of the Survivor pilot, I suppose is what we can call it. So you guys did your your wand-off stuff. We did our B&B stuff. We're going to keep going with Season 2, Episode 2, in which Kel is caught smuggling beef jerky and Rose chastises him for putting it on the left instead of the right. (laughs) should be a lot of fun. Also, if you want to hear us talk some more loss, speaking of time traveling, uh, Josh and I are going to continue our tradition over on Crazy Hank TV. Jack from the Jane Jack podcast is continuing his loss rewatch. We are going to be talking about Through the Looking Glass, uh, a season where we are not even at the season two finale in our own watch, but we are going to go talk about the season three finale, which some argue, which we have argued once upon a time, is the best episode of Lost of all time. It'll be certainly interesting to go watch that when we have not even touched season three at this point. Yeah, it's going to be cool. It's going to be fun. So keep an ear out for that. We're going to be on with Jack very, very soon. Uh, That's it. I can't believe we're up to two for the road. That's crazy that we're at this point on the Rewatch podcast, but crazy times. We'll get into it next week. Take care, everybody. Bye. These arms are-